0: It's a new day. Yes, it is. I am Vaughn Johnson. You got me
1: mad now.
0: You, know, you got a bicycle.
1: i feeling good. Well, the st-
0: skeptics and all the people have a little bit build- of... Let me get this
1: again. Oh, it's live, pal. Sorry.
2: We're riding a bicycle in this arena.
0: With my man, man, pots and Pants, Nick Bacon. That's me. I don't
2: know what the kid is that was a- riding it, but he ain't on it when they brought it the to the ring.
0: Tomorrow night, you can kick your face off. I don't know
2: what that was
0: But I don't like it when things aren't going my way.
1: Don't you dare be (laughs) sour! Woo! He don't know nothing else. He know that wrestling bro. (laughs) Give me a hell yeah! I said give me a hell yeah!
0: What's up ladies and gentlemen out there to internet land and welcome to episode 273 of the Stray Shooter. My name is Vaughn Johnson, and I'm joined as always by my main man, Pots and Pants, Nick Bacona, Philly Voice, and Philly Influencer. And we have yet another fantastic show ahead of us tonight. It's yet another deep dive. We talked about it. We talked about it at various times in the past, but we're actually going to dive deep into it. We're diving into another film, not an event, but a film, a movie, one of the, I guess, more famous, more popular wrestling documentaries of all time, Beyond the Mat. We're going to talk all about it on this here show. But before we dig into Matt and more, I got to do my weekly check on my main man, Pots and Pants, Nick Pocone. How you doing tonight, my good brother?
2: Yeah, I know. Just waiting for another, like, our fifth snowstorm in the past 10 days to come through the Philly area. And uh, I'm not looking forward to getting out there and shoveling again, because my back hurts, man. I'm tired. At least we don't have it as bad as Texas, bro. Uh, <laughs>
1: that's
0: true. Whereas it's all messed up out there so if you're listening to us from texas uh you know shout outs to you hope everything is going well for you and your family members out there during uh this wild and crazy time y'all y'all living through out there with this polar vortex and snowstorm that y'all living through but
1: yeah, guess, we, we've been hit you with know, some
0: weather up here
2: too but a little i guess different they're not here. used to it down there but i think they'd be better equipped who knows that's why i'm not a politician Yeah, gladly, not a politician, but yeah, just waiting for, it's supposed to start overnight. You know, we're recording this on a Wednesday night, it's supposed to start uh, early Thursday morning, so I can't wait to get out there and start shoveling, and who knows, maybe I'll have to go to work tomorrow, who who know? I I still don't know, I haven't gotten the call yet, so (laughs) we are, yes, we are in person learning, by the way, in New Jersey, I work in Jersey, so we are still in a hybrid schedule, but in-person learning is happening and it's uh it's not going too bad so uh looking forward to education pick it up in the states uh, eventually i guess i don't know <laughs> again yeah, we'll i'm not see. a politician so
0: we'll, we'll see we'll see but um yeah like like, like you mentioned we got a couple snowstorms up here we got one coming i believe tomorrow as we record this here on wednesday february 17th uh 2021 uh, so yeah, this is the last two weeks we talked about weather. It used to be, used to be a weekly thing, and then <laughs> we stopped to, yeah. for months, and then we're back at it again. The weather podcast, Straight Shooters. Shout out to <laughs> to the, all the meteorologists out there, I guess. Um, but yeah, did you did you happen to check out? Uh, speaking of wrestling related content, did you catch the debut episode of Young Rock
2: by chance? I did actually. It's funny. Uh, I totally forgot it was coming on. Uh, back to back with Keenan. By the way, I had a, I had to dive into Keenan too. You know, kind of a throwback of to Keenan and Kel, but MB- yeah, that, that's, I DVR'd that's why both. NBC did
0: that. They they had a lead in. You know, mm-hmm. The Rock was a lead in for Keenan, which was mm-hmm. smart. Shout out to Keenan Thompson.
2: Yep, and uh, I watched both, and uh, I gotta say, it was I I loved all the wrestling about it. You know, like I, I'm looking forward to seeing how this series plays out, but um, I enjoyed I enjoyed the first episode. I gotta say
0: yeah it was it was good I, I I just had to get used to I guess to uh, watching like 30 minute like episodic television <laughs> again like especially like especially like sitcoms where yeah with commercials. I, mean, I might watch a, <laughs> a comedy on like Netflix or something like that that's 30 minutes but then I get to watch the next episode and there's no commercials yeah. <laughs> you know yeah where this is like oh there's commercials I'm just, it's weird, because obviously we've grown up for years watching commercials, and I watch sports, and there's still commercials, and we watch wrestling, and there's commercials, but, like, on, like, a comedy, like, a sitcom type of thing, it's, like, almost, like, foreign. I was, like, what, what is this? What? what? <laughs> oh, it's a commercial. Okay. Well, I can't skip it? Like, <laughs> like it's, it's just weird, but I, I thought that was a good show. It's was good. Um, I, too, I, I also, uh, like, like, the... uh I guess the youngest version of Rock when he was around the wrestlers yeah. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And they did a pretty good job of casting, I think, uh, like Iron Sheik, mm-hmm. Junkyard Dog, yeah, yeah. Andre the Giant, Soul yeah. Man, Rocky Giant, like all those people who we all know, at least as wrestling fans. And then you can tell they're throwing in some type of wrestling terms, too, like putting mm-hmm. somebody over. And <laughs> yeah. I think they mentioned doing a job and then, yeah. uh, then talked about working the gimmick, you know, <laughs> and all that. Even though his dad's talking about working the gimmick, even though he's working like in a auto body shop or whatever he's working at, um, but yeah, it's, it's a fine right. show. I didn't like roar or laugh. I will say the guy, the, the homeless guy in the back of the car, that was pretty funny. That yeah.
1: was pretty wild. <laughs> um,
2: and I'm I'm assuming everything is loosely based on facts and and truth. So um, I don't you know about Dwayne Johnson's life, but. Um, I'm assuming the fact that he went and bought a car for like a hundred some dollars is true, and wound up leaving it. I don't know. It's funnier to assume that it's true, <laughs> right, you know. Right.
0: I, I can say that he was really out here in these streets getting arrested a bunch when yeah. he was in the he, yep. when he was a teenager, mm.
2: and he always talks about that having seven dollars to his name and stuff like that. The, in fact, the first uh, commercial I believe was. Was it Acorn it like an app? The app yeah, yeah, that's like, you know, yeah. And, you know, I he said that many, many times throughout the years. Uh, so, yeah,
0: named his production company after Seven Bucks Productions.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, shout out to the Rock, by the way. Yeah, we're doing, we're doing Young Rock. Gotta
2: get him on the show soon.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll work it out. We'll we figure something out to get doing our Johnson Blue, Blue on Wire
2: Hustle debut. <laughs> oh
0: yeah, 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 why not? Why not? Um. But also, do you know who's uh, going to be on Saturday Night Live this week? Speaking of NBC. I do.
2: Our, our, boy Bad yeah, our 24-7 champion. <laughs> <Yeah>. Unless it, <laughs> got it, it changed
0: that. by this point. but I don't think it's changed. I think he's going on SNL with a 24-7 title. Dude, I would love that.
2: As soon, <laughs> as, soon as he won it, I was like, they got to keep it on him because I knew – I'm one of the very few, I'm sure, that watches SNL when it's a new episode. Um, I don't know. I don't think it's over hilariously funny or anything like that. It's just what I do nowadays. Uh, and When I when they advertised him for next week, I was like, a- after he won the 24-7 title, I was like, he needs to be on SNL with the title. <laughs> like, they cannot mess this up.
0: R-Truth needs to pin him during his open mind. <laughs> we won't have an online log because he's not hosting it right but maybe during his performance i should say imagine our truth needs to run out or at least after like after it's done he's like all right thank you and yeah. runs out and pins him <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that would be
2: dope it would be that would It'd be get dope. people talking to be all over the internet sunday morning like why the hell wouldn't you try something like that
0: it, and it's funny it's funny to see wrestling fans go like He's he's on Saturday Night Live. Like, yeah, bro, he's famous. <laughs> he's legit <laughs> famous. And I think some people might think like, WWE is the reason why. I like, no, sir, or ma'am, oh, or whoever. Man. He would be on there regardless. Yeah, he's, he's bad pr- money. He was
2: probably booked uh, a month or two in advance at least. I don't I don't know how they how long. I'm sure the host is booked uh, long in advance. I don't know about the musical act, but um, you gotta you I mean, gotta think he was already so so mu- so popular before performing right. at the Royal Rumble that he probably his people probably saw that that yeah well he was booked for SNL yeah we'll do the Royal Rumble and then it just kind of snowballed from there that he enjoyed it um, I read something online that I, I forget who said it but it might have been Ryan Satin actually on Twitter that said it looks like Bad Bunny's having the time of his life and Cause it, he is. it comes through on the screen like it's he's not a, he doesn't act like he's too good to be there you know what I mean Like he's a big fun. fan yeah
0: is our, our wrestling fandom is so weird because we want we we were very closed off to the quote unquote outsiders, even though Bad Bunny is essentially one of us, one of us, one of us, <laughs> <laughs> but he's a mark just like the rest of us. Right, yeah, but yet people because people don't necessarily know him, at least wrestling fans I should say don't necessarily know him. He's looked at as an outsider because he doesn't. He hasn't wrestled on the independence. So maybe he doesn't even follow the independence. We don't know. Maybe he loves the independence scene. Maybe he's all maybe he owns every single Evolved D V D. Like we don't know. Like, <laughs> maybe, maybe he wanted he, to be
2: maybe he wanted to be all elite before he was in WWE. We right. don't know
0: that. Maybe he had plans. He had booked a trip to Roseda, California to be front row at P W G this year. We don't know. You know, of course that didn't happen because of the the pandemic. But my point is maybe he had that planned before the pandemic. You know what I'm saying? But mm-hmm you we, don't know gotta, <laughs> that's the thing we don't know but like he's a big fan like we can't like and i'm sure he's probably be surprised by the fact that like why, why are people like jumping and using saying this stuff about me like this well, is yeah he's, I, I love wrestling he, he's
2: getting a good taste of that iwc <laughs> oh yeah
0: the, the, to, to the, don't like we want wrestling to be like liked by everyone but until they actually like, they actually come in and do something. It's like whoa, 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 not
2: like this. <laughs> you gotta pay your dues before becoming a fan. Yeah.
0: Like what? <laughs> right. Pay your dues before getting in that ring. Work, yeah, work in the Podung, uh, wrestling promotion in the middle of nowhere and get twenty five dollars. Like before you can step foot in this ring, like it's weird. It's weird stuff. I need so. to see you
2: hitting the ropes a hundred <laughs>
0: times. <laughs> I need to see those bruises on your back hitting the ropes. Conspiracy Macho Man <laughs> strikes again.
2: That's where Conspiracy he, he, Man. He's gonna be a a recurring character on this uh, podcast from now on.
0: Oh, he has been yeah. already. But yeah, shout out to Bad Bunny, man. I don't know yeah, if it's I really reflecting it. in the ratings at all. I mean, I don't know if more people are watching wrestling because of Bad Bunny. Uh, because Bad Bunny's only on screen for like five minutes at a right. time. Then the, nobody's watching the other two hours and 55 minutes. And so, the show. It's,
2: so, it's so easy to just ignore like the backstage segments too, because they're so boring. And I think that's where yeah. he won the 24 seven title. It was like a random backstage segment that turned out to be great because of what happened. But when you're watching WWE, you're so conditioned, especially on Monday night raw, where it it's like a backstage segment to just go about whatever you were doing or just wait till the commercial breaks over. Like they, they don't mean anything. So that's why it's tough to kind of gauge the viewers when it comes to him. But listen, he he looks like he's having fun, and you know it's good. It's great to see because I would hate to have someone like that in the spotlight that just thinks he's so much better than everyone else, and you could tell through the screen. But like, it's not not with Bad Bunny. Like he's he's a fan, and it's awesome. And I didn't even know this before he even showed up.
0: I think I think I heard about it. Uh, that's part of the reason why I did the song "Book of T, because he's a big yeah. Yeah. wrestling fan. But, uh, it's, it's just funny, because now, even though the fans aren't necessarily... I mean, some fans probably have, you know, come around on it, but I was assume there's still a lot of fans out there who still is like, I don't understand this. But then you hear, there's a story that he's apparently the top merch seller in WWE right now. Wow. <laughs> like half a million dollars worth of merchandise he's already sold mm. and it's like D- well there you go <laughs> like, <laughs> like say less like yeah he ain't bringing in necessarily ratings but people buying the merch And I-, I would assume that not all of those people are wrestling fans that's just my mm. assumption at least i could be wrong but i'm pretty sure there's just a bad bunny fan out there who likes bad bunny enough that they would buy His name or likeness on almost anything, including a WWE t-shirt. So, that's why they they got him involved, that's why they got him on board. So, enough about bunnies, enough about Bad Bunny and all the bunnies and Rocks, Young Rock and all that stuff. Let's get into the reason why we're here for this episode. Episode 273, because we're going to dive deep into everybody's favorite wrestling documentary. Beyond the Mat,
2: not uh, wrestling with shadows. We're gonna have to do that, by the way.
0: Wow, that's gonna be epic. When <laughs> we do do that, we're gonna do it. It's gonna happen. But we're gonna, you know, yeah. But this, this is like the most I, I would say, um, I guess, publicly known or most notable. Yeah, wrestling documentary. Yeah. I mean, outside of WWE ones, which you know, those are good. But like, this is like from an independent
1: mm-hmm.
0: person to document pro wrestling this yep. is probably still the most notable and it, and it came out over 20 years ago because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying i'm drawing a blank if there's other ones that were, are more notable that are on the same level i mean if uh, there have been other documentaries but this we got a theatrical release i mean come on and like, right
2: and this <laughs> like, was toward the height of like the wcw wwf or well maybe not the height but in late 99 uh nitro was still kind of strong in the ratings i mean they were getting beat every week but uh, they were funny enough, WCW wasn't a part of this documentary, but uh this documentary was released and I totally forgot it was even it was filmed for what, like two or three years prior to this. So yeah, a lot of the three, stuff we saw was from like ninety six, ninety seven and uh it's just kind of crazy.
0: Yeah, I think the most recent thing on this documentary is the Royal Rumble in ninety nine. Yeah,
2: and this uh movie was released October twenty second, ninety nine, so this is 10 months or 9 months after. So,
0: Yeah. So, was that October 22nd? I thought it was earlier than yeah. that. Yeah.
2: That's what it says on wiki, and you know, wiki doesn't lie.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, yeah. I mean, I guess. I was looking on uh, IMDb, and it said, like, March. Release date, March 17th, 2000.
2: What was that, uh, maybe that was in the U.S.?
0: Maybe. I don't know. Got some conflicting information here. I don't know when this thing was released well
2: imdb is lying because i'm pretty do, sure i am this
0: came out before yeah i'm pretty sure this came out before 2000 like why would it just came out in 99 i remember this like in 99 mm-hmm. so your date is probably more correct mm-hmm. i don't know why it says that there march 17 2000 it says usa march 17 2000 but then it, i clicked the release dates and it says october 22nd 1999 on oh, imdb there but I guess it see it was only see when it came out in October 1999, it was only in one theater. Oh, uh, just one. What? But I guess it got a wider release, hmm. or not really one theater, but it was in, like LA. Like I guess that was a premiere, hmm. and then it debuted at some film festival or whatever. And by March 17, 2000, it, I guess I got a wider release because you see, USA, UK, all in 2000, Germany, Australia, like so. Hmm. At some point, in 90, between 1999 and 2000, this movie came out. <laughs> this film came out. We know that much. So what is this film? As you said, uh, it was filmed between about 1997 and 1999, and is directed and written and narrated by Barry Blaustein. Barry W. Blaustein. And he goes out and pretty much hits the road and gets unprecedented access at the time to the World Wrestling Federation, And he goes on the Indies, and he's with he's in ECW, and he's you know he's he's all over the country, documenting his childhood love of professional wrestling, and at the end of the day, came beyond the mat, and actually, like we said earlier, got a theatrical release. I'm not sure how many wrestling documentaries have ever gotten a theatrical release, but this one did, which is uh, I I vividly recall seeing the poster to this movie. Mm-hmm. Hanging up in like a movie theater when I was going to see some other movie. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, but I vividly remember seeing this poster. I didn't see the movie in in the theaters, but I I remember seeing the poster.
2: Yeah, it's really hard too. You, so
0: yeah, so I wouldn't have been mm-hmm. able to. I was only I was at I was the youngest ten at older at the oldest eleven. Um, so what about you? Do you what do you recall your first time maybe viewing this, watching this back in the day, and uh, where were you in life <laughs> at that point? <laughs>
2: So I I looked up the director's cut, the unrated director's cut uh, VHS. That's the one that I actually bought. I forget where, uh, like, what store I bought it at, but I did buy the VHS, the director's cut. I really don't know what uh, was different from it, honestly. Um, but it had Terry Funk, McFoley with the mankind mask on, and The Rock all on the cover. And I remember, and I have it, you know, in front of me right now. I distinctly remember thinking the man, like, it was a movie. I didn't know it was a documentary. Like I remember reading about it online. Same with Ready to Rumble when we did Ready to Rumble. I, I knew like you know they were filming a movie, but I didn't know like exactly what it was about. I didn't even know this was a documentary like the way it was portrayed. I was so surprised when I started watching the VHS and seeing like the behind the scenes access and stuff. It was completely not what I thought. Um, I actually thought the the people on the cover. Spe- Harry Funk looks like himself, but to me, Mick Foley and The Rock do not look like themselves. I thought they were actors, and I thought we were going to see like a movie almost like Ready to Rumble, even though I hadn't seen it at that point, <laughs> but like just like a regular movie following a script or whatever, I didn't realize it, was, it just didn't hit me. You know, I was what? Uh, it was 99, so I was like 14 years old, 15 years old. It didn't hit, hit me that this was a documentary so when I saw for the first time I was like oh they're not actors they're actually themselves <laughs> so uh I, I don't I didn't buy it right away I think I wait I might have actually bought it in like 2001 so I might have went all 2000 like without it and I remember when I watched it in 2001 or whatever it is I got it I was just like blown away by everything it's like I knew, you know, things were happening behind the scenes. I knew it was predetermined by that point, but to the extent of, you know, some of the stuff that we see in this documentary, uh, I guess I just didn't realize how intricate every single detail was, especially in the WWF, ECW, uh, not not as much the Indies. I didn't really pay attention to back then, so I, that part didn't really like. I, I didn't care about, you know, back then. Uh, but I was really, like, blown away by all the access they had with, you know, the WWF at the time, and even Draws. And I think by, by the time I watched this, obviously, it they even said at the end of the movie, three weeks after this film was finished was when Draws got paralyzed in the ring. So uh, just seeing Draws like that after, like, another year or two of, not like, realizing he's paralyzed and he'll never wrestle again, it was just kind of, like, crazy to see that at that time when I watched it. So, a lot of stuff going on. Like, I'm still, like, the height of my wrestling fandom. I, I was probably a junior in high school when I watched it for the first time. Uh, my mom got, you know, new rugs for the house. We finally got a cable modem for the internet. I was living the good life back then.
1: The
0: good life, cable <laughs> modem for the internet. That's good lord. Right. In 2000, could, 99, 2000?
2: 99-2000? Yeah, well, 2001,
0: yeah. so. 2001, I mean, yeah. you, you had to. No, so no
2: dial up no more. Just go to www. On... WWF.com and boom, it was there. I didn't have to wait.
0: <laughs> <laughs> WWF.com. sponsored by Lugs this week.
2: <laughs> oh, Lugs and J, what, the JVC boombox? Those are like the. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the JVC the boom, boom of the week or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, that yeah.
0: Boombox not popular in 2001, maybe. Mm. I don't, were they? I guess they were. They might have been. So yeah, while you were enjoying that, uh, cuz cable modem life, cable internet life 2001 or so. I was still on dial up, so I'm pretty sure I still was not dial up in 2001. Um but yeah, I I probably saw this around the same time you did, maybe maybe even later, I don't know. But I do I, I didn't see it in theaters. I don't remember renting it something like that from Blockbuster. And I, I don't remember this being a Blockbuster night for me, but um <laughs> <laughs> That's a deep cut, deep callback from straight shooters. That's right, back in the day. But um, I probably saw it on TV, like a HBO or something like that, and yeah. like you, it was just mesmerized by like seeing these wrestlers who I watched on TV be normal people. It's probably the first time I really saw them be normal people. Like seeing Steve Austin hang out with The Rock and Mick Foley backstage at the Royal Rumble. And like, hey, how you doing? How's the kids? Oh, yeah, right. My kids here, too. All right. See you later. Like wasn't ready for that. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> like as a youngster. But even watching it today, still kind of fascinated, like you said, by the level of access the match had because WWE has shown a lot of this stuff. We know like they show it. They don't even like pretend anymore that, you know, it's descriptive. It is. You know, they, it's all part of the show but an outside entity getting that access is what especially at this time where that access was not given out freely in wrestling period by a major promotion like this maybe by an independent cuz they wanted some eyeballs on it but you know a big company like this no so it was it was pretty uh surreal to watch as a as a youngster when i first watched it so but yeah beyond the mat again Written, directed, and narrated by one Barry Blaustein. You're probably wondering who in the hell <laughs> is Blair, B- Barry Blaustein? Well Barry Blaustein's actually kind of a big deal. Mm. <laughs> Believe it or not. And which is why I think this whole thing happened. Yeah. Uh when you look up his writing credits particularly He's got a lot of writing credits. He was a writer on Saturday Night Live from 1980 to 1983, which has just so happened to be around the time when Eddie Murphy was on Saturday Night Live, and that's where he he met Eddie Murphy, I'm sure. And of course, Eddie Murphy wasn't there for too long because he went on to become one of the biggest stars in Hollywood. But Blaustein was one of the writers on both of the Coming to America movies. So not the, just the original that came out in the 80s, the current one too that's coming out like next month or something like that. It's coming out soon, uh, and he wrote one of my favorite comedies of all time, underrated Eddie Murphy movie in my opinion, Boomerang. He helped write that as well. If you if you got time, Nick, hmm. write this down on the list of movies I tell you to watch. Boomer, it's a Boomerang, Egg. like the like the like the Australian Boomerang. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Boomer, uh, Eddie Murphy. Cl- yeah, there you go. Classic, <laughs> I guess it's technically rom com but it's hysterical like it's the it's, it's my one of my favorite if, if, it, if it technically is a rom-com it's my favorite. It's like boomerang it's the best Eddie Murphy, Chris Rock, uh Robin Givens, Holly Berry when she was just mm, she was looking good in Boomerang. Um you got so many people in that movie. Uh Martin, David Alan Greer, John the late, great John Witherspoon, like so many people. So uh great cast, great comedy. But apparently Barry Blaustein, uh, oh, also Eartha Kitt. Let's not forget Eartha Kitt. She was in that movie as well as, as uh, man, Madame Eloise. I believe her name was in that movie. Uh, I believe it was Madame Eloise in that movie. But uh, yeah, tremendous cast, tremendous movie. So he was one of the writers on that movie. So I'm 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 assuming that his relationship started with Eddie Murphy on a Saturday Night Live, and so and then you know helped write those movies as well. But he doesn't only do Eddie Murphy stuff, he did he was one of the writers on the Honeymooners movies that came out in like an 05 with Cedric the Entertainer, it's like the all black version of the Honeymooners which I'm sure upset some white people out there <laughs> like, I'm sure they too. saw Cedric the Entertainer playing Ralph Cramden <laughs> in the Honeymooners I was like wait, wait, Ralph Cramden isn't black? He's also a fictional character so don't worry <laughs> um, they, they've whitewashed enough Black people, mm. so don't worry.
1: Yeah,
0: we, we we get our turns here and there sometimes too. <laughs> um, but Mike Epps is in it: Regina Hall, Gabriel Union, and he also helped write Police Academy two, three, four, and five. <laughs>
1: like,
0: <laughs> okay. Oh, oh, and also made he wrote he's part one of the writers animated cameo and in, in the second, eddy Professor, the Clumps. Oh, no. So nice. he did all of that at least besides the honeymooners that came after Beyond the Mat. But everything else I just mentioned. Became, he did that before Beyond the Mat.
1: Mm.
0: So, he was a big deal. So, it wasn't like he was some fly-by-night documentarian looking mm-hmm. to, you know, you're not some of these righteous people out here trying to do documentaries and they tell a story. that They tell the story that they want to tell, not the actual story. Yeah, yeah. He wasn't one of these people. He was a legit person in Hollywood circles that I'm sure, you know, his connections with Saturday Night Live and NBC and stuff like that. Maybe, apparently... I take, let me actually rewind a second. Apparently, because like I said, his connections, including his connections, included Ron Howard, who was a legendary director, producer, of course, on Happy Days. Uh, Apparently, that's who connected Blaustein to Vince McMahon, was Ron Howard, because apparently, Ron Howard was Vince McMahon's neighbor. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, rich white people, they all live in the same neighborhood, apparently. So. especially excessively rich white people like Ron Howard and Vince McMahon. So they're neighbors, and Ron Howard's like, oh yeah, I'm going to just make a phone call for you. Put them in the same room, pretty much, and there you go. But apparently, according to like Bruce Pritchard, it was originally sold as an art house type of documentary, not as a theatrical release. But, of course, it became a theatrical release. <laughs> <laughs> and it eventually made little more than two million dollars worldwide mm. uh so the, the fans didn't really come out and drove to see it i'm not sure if it was really uh in a bunch of theaters i don't i'm sure how wide of a release it got but the people that did see it generally had good things to say about it the, you got on imdb 7.6 out of 10 the the critics score on rotten tomatoes 82 percent. the audience score 83 percent. like almost dead even between audience and critics and i'd never heard of its website until looking up you know research and stuff for this documentary but documentary heaven which i assume is like an authority on documentaries out there uh they also gave it a 7.6 out of 10. Mm. so it didn't make a ton of money but generally speaking most people liked it and i think still it's still good to this day. i think it still holds up in a lot of instances. Uh, I know some people, mainly Jake Roberts, didn't like how he was portrayed in the documentary. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure some people might have some things to say about it, you know, executive things to say about it after the fact. But I think if you just watch it on his face, it's still a pretty good documentary.
2: I did, like, I hadn't seen it in maybe almost 20 years. I don't remember the last time I watched it. Uh, Maybe I did it a few years after I bought the VHS. But, yeah, I mean, I... Agree with that sentiment. I think it holds up. I think it's still, uh, you know, the wrestling industry isn't completely changed as a whole, and you still have veterans coming around that, you know, you kind of gotten the same way jake roberts did maybe not as badly as jake did but is he even showing that and showing terry funk and how, how we're gonna dive into that you know like a lot of things still hold up with a lot of the performers now who were in their prime you know when this was released so it's just crazy to see it's almost timeless in a way
0: yeah a lot of those a lot yeah like you said a lot of things still hold up in wrestling to this day it doesn't seem uh, just super out of place. Maybe the um, even like the depiction of the independence was still kind of accurate. Like some, yeah. and there are people who can make some money on the independence. Like you know, earn a, a, a okay living, I guess, on the independence. But for the most part, you're not. <laughs> you know, there are a lot more people who yeah, are you making have to 20, 25 like, bucks you have a match. To be
2: an already established star, really, to make money like Matt Hardy did. You know He was happy doing that for a while. I don't know if it was sustainable, because he wound up coming back to WWE and TNA and stuff like that, but, yeah, I mean, like, I don't think you necessarily, as a, as a wrestler, uh, right now, even in 2021, uh, where a lot of indies, you know, pandemic notwithstanding, a lot of indies were very much uh, getting rave reviews I just don't think that's the end game for a lot of these guys obviously you want to make it to the top so yeah I agree with that sentiment
0: yeah you know who wasn't really happy with this movie apparently though that would be Vince McMahon and Linda McMahon (laughs) 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 who apparently wasn't really super happy with how they didn't make WWF look fun enough Mm. I guess wild
2: wacky fun right WWF, yeah, Wild
0: Wild, that's, what they, that's what they want, I guess, people to think. But, like, no, this is...
2: Even during the Attitude Era, which I, I just don't get. But you can kind of see that that mindset come alive when Vince had draws in his office. You oh, almost, we'll talk, we're going to talk about it. We, we almost see that, like, in Vince's mind. This is how we're going to connect with the audience, and it's going to be fun. And maybe that's, like, how he is with every single character, with, give or take a few, but... Uh, maybe that's exactly how he goes about the business. Uh, obviously, I mean, we see it in this documentary.
0: Yeah, this was this was a, a very interesting insight into Vince McMahon and how he views pro wrestling. Again, we're going to talk about it. Um, talk about it all. I forgot a couple of uh, Barry Blaustein um, credits, by the way. He also had, he directed a movie called The Ringer with Johnny Knoxville mm. where he posed as a Special Olympics athlete, which... Probably wouldn't go over well in twenty twenty one. Just gonna go out on a limb and predict mm-hmm. that. And I forgot he also co produced boomerang as well, which is like all right. Again, boomerang, Nick, write it
2: boomer-ang. down. Ang, I got it. I'm
0: telling you, it's it's hilarious, boy. Do I need to take a picture? I did write
2: it down. I'll take a picture, I'll send it to you. All
0: right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I believe you. It's all right. Oh. Uh oh. My dog don't believe you, though. I'm like, Take that picture. I swear. Like, I swear. All right. I, I,
2: believe <laughs> you, <though. laughs> I believe you. I, I don't don't believe, believe you. I don't believe you. I wasn't ready for that. My macho man needs cleaning up a little bit.
0: <laughs> Drink <laughs> some tea or something. All right. So now with, with all the context and background information and little factoids out of the way, let's finally really dig in. Sink our teeth into... Beyond the Mat, which begins with Barry Blaustein sitting in front of a television, watching footage of old pro wrestling, talking about his love of pro wrestling. And it shows some of the classic stuff, you know, from back, I guess, when he was a kid. And then it cuts to current day, I guess, at that point, present day pro wrestling, which the first thing you see is Rob Van Dam getting kicked off the ring apron. And you see all this stuff of ECW footage and WWF footage all with Ahmed Johnson's theme music underneath. It. <laughs> what? <laughs>
2: <laughs> he must have just he must have heard that on Full Metal the album and really liked it.
0: Uh, it wasn't bad. I don't know if it, it really was. just a Ahmed weird Johnson's choice
2: thing. for 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 that as like the background song like why that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I wish he explained that, but, but. I remember hearing like
0: I met Johnson's theme music for the first time probably after watching this and be like, "Oh, that's the Beyond the Mat music."
2: <laughs> you weren't a uh, you weren't an Ahmed fan, huh? Well, actually, yeah. By that not, by that point, he was thought he probably in WCW gone. when you started watching, right? Do you no, see him in not, WCW?
0: Uh, I believe I did, but not by the time I saw Beyond the Mat, I didn't I didn't know his you didn't theme even know music. Ahmed, uh, I, I don't. I knew. I think I knew the name because I did play Warzone, the video game. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was familiar with Ahmed Johnson. The mm-hmm, Mississippi gotcha. was the, the was it the Pearl, Pearl River yeah, Plunge? yeah, Pearl River
2: Mississippi. Yeah.
0: It's, yeah, based off of Pearl River Mississippi, but Pearl Pearl River Plunge. That's a, that's the finish. Is it was a hell of a finisher. It was as you would do it with like seven knee pads on his, or seven elbow pads on the thighs. Like I, I didn't understand it after we get all the different footage with Ahmed Johnson's team music under it we get Barry Blausting asking pretty much his I guess is it a thesis I don't know I didn't do a thesis I didn't go I didn't go to grad school so <laughs> <laughs> but he pretty much asks his main question is who are these guys
2: yeah <laughs> who what sort of human bashes another man's skull into a ring post for a living who are these yeah.
0: guys who are these guys and he intended to find out. He hit the road. And the first place he started was pretty much at the top of the business. The top yeah, of right? industry.
2: <laughs> like, what a weird way to
0: start. Right. He I didn't like, go start at the bottom and work his way up. Yeah. Started at the very top. With the World Wrestling Federation and Titan Tower and Stanford, Connecticut, which is probably the public's first glimpse of Titan Tower on the inside. I mean, outside of that angle with Steve Austin when he took over for a day. And he was answering phones and stuff like that.
2: You know, and unless you missed an episode of WWF Mania in the 90s oh. where Todd Pettengill was in, in there going from office to office. He even went yeah, to Jim Ross's office. Yeah, it was great.
0: I missed that. <laughs> yeah, I, did, I didn't see that. Oh, man. You missed out. Nobody. nobody. No, I think a lot of people missed that. <laughs> <laughs> no to disrespect to Todd Pettengill. I just I don't
2: <laughs> think. <laughs> Got to get him on the show soon. <laughs>
0: My, he gonna be? You said what about me? You said Sean I'm like <laughs> Sean get him, Todd. Mooney. I'm just gonna sit back. Sean get Mooney him, Todd. better than me. And then next I'm week we'll have Sean. To, yo, yo, hey, we create a war between Todd Pettinger and Sean Mooney. That nobody, nobody's here for at this <laughs> war at all.
2: It was so, funny, though, uh, seeing the inside of that. Yeah, it, was, it brought back memories. It was really the first time I saw the inside of that building since, you know, the early... Uh, that Austin angle, which was, was probably 99, right? Yeah, I think it was like the summer of 99 yeah. when he was in, in that building. And then, uh, you know, yeah, Pat Gill before that, maybe a handful of shows here and there when they did those live shots and recap shows. But, yeah, not not very often did we see inside this building.
0: No, we hear... The receptionist from the wrestling federation, please hold. <laughs> she just said it like four or five times. Uh, that's literally. I know some people like don't realize like receptionists really do that. Like they yeah. really be saying like that same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. Case in point, this is a sidebar. I remember I was back in college, right? And this is when the Steelers and the Packers won the Super Bowl. So this is early 2011 and the Titans coach of the Packers was Ben McAdoo. Now, of mm-hmm. course, Ben McAdoo eventually became the head coach of the New York Giants. Didn't work out too well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But at that time, he was the Titans coach of the Packers and it, and this is you know, Packers Aaron Rodgers, you know, Dajon Michael Finley, I think, they were they had, you know, they were dope on offense. They still are, obviously, Devontae DeVonte Adams. But so Ben McAdoo is from Homer City in Western PA. So it's like the next town right right like it's like literally like ten minute drive away from Indiana PA, I believe. And his whole family grew up Steelers fans. So it's like him, he's and any he went to and he was an IUP grad. So we gotta do a story about Ben McAdoo, obviously. So IUP grad, Homer City native, and oh by the way, he's going against his childhood team in the Steelers in the Super Bowl. So I called the Packers, and every time he said, I called "Hello, Packers." <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Aaron Rodgers, there? <laughs> is this is this is, is this Aaron Rodgers? No, but every time I called, a not a machine but a woman, like, "Thank you for calling the NFC champion, Green Bay Packers. How may I help you?" NFC <laughs> champion, I love it because
2: <laughs> they hadn't won the Super Bowl yet. They were no, no the I mean NAC like just, you had to put that in there because you have to make people oh, of know course. who the hell they're calling.
0: You're the NFC champs. You you let people know. So I called, I think twice because I forget. I don't know if I got to the person I wanted to get to the first time or whatever, but I remember calling multiple times, and every time, thinking of for calling the NFC champion Green Bay Packers. How may I help you? is <laughs> like, like, she really about this receptionist life, man? Like this is, <laughs> and it sounded exactly the same. <laughs> There was no, like, hiccups or stammers. Perfect. So, I don't know who that woman's name, but she was dope at her job. And shout out to the lady in Beyond the Mat for being dope at her job as well. So, shout out to the receptionist out there answering them phones. It's a tough gig to maintain that for eight hours a day at least, you know?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> That's, nobody expected that. The receptionist love on, on episode 273. <laughs> Give
2: them their flowers.
0: Oh yeah, why not? Why not? They work hard. So after we hear from the receptionist, we get Vince and Linda and Shane all in Titan Tower walking through. We see one of the oddities walking through, and <laughs> Vince says something to him. And then we get the hilarious moment in Vince's office where he's he's <laughs> he's got his water, and he says, I quote. Some of our success stories, I'm going to try to do it as Vince McMahon, some of our success stories, a certain amount of respect comes from that. But hopefully, that simply will only be used as an entree <laughs> <laughs> to encourage someone's interest and then find out what we're really about. And then he does this long pregnant pause. I think he takes a sip of water. I don't forget it was before or after, but it's a long pause because he's looking, to the, looking at, I guess, Barry Blaustein. It's like, got this cool look on his face like, know what we're really about, huh? Huh? Do you? Huh? And that this long pause. We make movies. Yeah. <laughs> I like did not did that did not think he takes a swig of water. He does. <laughs> you know, so. And then
2: he, <laughs> it's almost like he he took it so he could wash his mouth because he he didn't swallow right away. It was it was just weird. They cut it pretty quickly to the next scene, but I noticed he he took that swig of water like so. Strangely. I don't know. It was like, It was, I mean, it, and, it was and very it made, strange. It made me wonder like how Vince eats. Like, does he eat weird? You know, does he drink other does he drink from a cup weird, you know? And like he he ate
0: did he eat something before that? Like I think he ate something and didn't wash like wash it down, but like I don't <laughs> think did he like chew his food at all? Did uh, he only like mm. Put the food in his mouth and then just drank the water yeah. and like got it down like a like a pill. Like I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I don't, it was weird though. Yeah, it was weird because it's like instead of like taking a sip of water, he like filled his entire mouth up with water <laughs> and then had to take this big gulp like gulp, like like it was like a, a waterfall of water in his throat. Like I didn't. It was weird. It was. It was weird. So, but yeah, that's again an interesting look into Vince McMahon's mindset in his mind and I guess in WWF's mind because he thinks that everybody else got to think it too they make movies yeah. they don't do wrestling it, it tell, he didn't even say sports entertainment he straight up said movies He did. which I mean they do they did at some point they did uh, No Holds Barred and eventually they created an entire division of movies <laughs> but he was calling what they did every Monday because they didn't have SmackDown so every Monday night and I guess on the pay-per-views movies yeah it's an interesting look into his mindset and it it does help you like
2: go ahead as a fan it helps you kind of get in that mindset of okay well that's what he thinks and you can almost understand what you're seeing on the screen whether you like it or not you're like oh like it's this is their version of a movie that you know you might like or you might not like and maybe to him, every match is a movie and they put a bunch of mini movies together for one big long movie every week. You know, that's, that's his mindset. And it was just, even though watching it in 2001 and by that point, you know, the Monday night war was over, you could still like tell that was his mindset. And that probably still is in 2021.
0: I'm sure it is. You know, he, he, in his mind, he's not just a wrestling promoter. I don't think he ever really was a wrestling promoter. he, and if you go by just his statement, he's a movie maker yeah. He's providing yeah. <laughs> that's providing movies, entertainment to the masses, not just wrestling fans, but to everyone, even though the audience has dwindled down to only just wrestling fans, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, the television viewing audience, I should say, uh, you know, and, and he was, but to his credit, I mean, he was very successful with that mindset. WWF went public just later this year, 99. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. They made their billion dollar company. They just sold the WWE network essentially for a billion dollars, you know, just a couple weeks ago. So the company financially has been a success. And even in, and in the late 90s, the quality was still there into the 2000s. But his vision has lost its way over the years for whatever mm-hmm. reason. You could say, oh, he's out of touch or there's too many writers or whatever. PG, you know, whatever. Even the fact that they've gone public could be a reason why they've kind of lost their way, but for whatever reason, it's not working quite to the way it did 20, 22 years ago, at least not from a quality standpoint. Like I said, they're still making money hand over fist, but the quality has a significant dip. So moving on from Vince McMahon, we see him, well, we still with Vince McMahon. You see him producing Dude Love and... He's chastising somebody for wanting a clean shot and and, and do love, and, and then he tells do love don't don't what do you say don't strut yeah, or don't like, dance don't, you're not strut. dancing or something like that. <laughs> like, you're not dancing. Like, I know this is my strut. I know. <laughs> He's like, oh, okay. And yeah, that's funny
2: because it's almost like Vic's like I I know Vince like relax you know that's almost like a, you could see him playing into that. It's like I know what I'm doing, dude. Like. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I can't walk and dance at the same time. I'm not that <laughs> coordinated. I'm like, this, uh, thanks, thanks for the compliment, though. Like, yeah, but I got it. And then we see Vince Russo pitching, <laughs> pitching some nonsense to Sable. Um But he was from right. The looks of it, I don't know if that was
2: nonsense though. He was like, "You got to sell I mean, the from back." The,
0: from the looks of it, it was the whole thing at the Royal Rumble that year, yeah. '99. I should say. Where she came to the ring, sell on the back, oh my back, and they, you know, they they it was teasing that she wasn't going to wrestle in the, yeah. the, the, the strap match against Luna, but she yeah. did and she won eventually. But yeah. Vince, you know, Vince Russo was like, make sure that people know, people think that you are not going to yeah. compete this night. They made, it, made it I look don't think good. anybody, I don't know if she actually sold anybody on whether she wasn't going to wrestle, <laughs> but it was a nice attempt. I'll give her credit for the attempt. Not saying that I like
2: that, like, cut to like show exactly what they were talking about. I was like, Oh, okay, like, it brought back memories. I'm like, Oh, yeah, like, that's what he's talking about. I I totally forgot what uh, you know, pre-per-view it was. And it's funny that it was the 99 Rumble because we just did it, did a deep dive on it a couple weeks ago.
0: (laughs) So, check it out in the archives of the Straight Shooters episode 270, to be exact. That was a Patreon request, just for the record uh you can get your requests fulfilled over at patreon.com slash shooters radio if you are so inclined but it's just a little lo- it's just look at the process it's like everything is calculated which i don't think people really knew at that point mm-hmm. just how much goes into the story that they're trying to tell and like oh you sell the back make people think that you're not trying to you're not going to compete tonight and of course you are but you gotta make, make people think that and then she went right out and did it yeah you know and
2: you know it it you said it perfectly where it kind of gives you a glimpse into how intricate the details are. Cause back then I'm just thinking, well, you know, I'm not in the mindset of the actual wrestler. They got so much to think about, not just their match, but like, how do they get to the next town? What hotel they going to sleep at tonight? Like how long is it going to take them to drive? Like they have so much going on where in my mind, I'm just thinking they're, th- they're thinking about what I'm watching. So I'm not even picturing Sable talking to anybody else. I'm just picturing her being like, "Okay, she's gonna hit my back, so I'm gonna sell it because I'm a wrestler." You know, it's funny that so many working parts just for one simple, like, shot, a video, yeah, that go into that. And you know that this was my first glimpse into that.
0: Yeah. Then we get a glimpse at the mastermind himself, Jim Johnston. Yeah. Which I probably the fa- first time people saw his face. I guess I am. Jim yeah. Johnson is the beast, man. Yeah. He's great at what he did. And I think this is one of the first times, if not the first time, that people actually saw, like, hey, mm-hmm. this is a guy who makes all the music. Yeah. Um, and then you see him strumming a guitar and like saying, like, oh, he walks like this, so he's got the music gotta kinda of go like this. And it's like that's pretty dope to see that kind of his mindset and creating what would have been Vader's theme music, which was dope, mm-hmm. by the way. Yep. Let the record reflect. Vader's theme music in WWF was great his his actual run in wwf not so great but the music was dope like can't fault jim johnson for that (laughs) jim johnson did his job as he did so many times so maybe and then Blaustein pointed out that you know wwf even had wardrobe designers you know they had people drawing up designs of people's attire and stuff like that which very could be a very hit or miss when you if you look at the uh different things over the years that they came up with, where Kane had a cape at one point, you know. Yeah. Um, they came up with all the, no, at least like creative services, I should call it, where they came up with uh, Chili McFrost or Fang McFreeze or S- Steve Austin, who wanted to be Stone Cold. You know, or yeah. they came up they came up with uh, Farouk, the, the, Farouk Assad, you know, in the blue helmet, <laughs> you know and you know and, and they came up with mankind too though they had some hits yeah they came you know, under, you know they, they, they drew out undertaker even without the cape Kane was still dope but then he had yeah. some misses so
2: did you uh Three by the way misses. as an aside did you watch the untold on the apa yet on the WWE network i have not oh man that's that's funny because farouk talks about that when you know he's given they even show the mock-ups and uh Vince is like you're Farouk and Ron Simmons is like what is a Farouk you know like <laughs> just talking about that so they go over that on the on that and it's great it's about a half hour maybe 40 minutes uh, about the APA it was fantastic so
0: what is a Farouk damn
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> 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 it was
0: great that's my Farouk impersonation every sentence like- has to end with damn <laughs> what in the hell damn
2: <laughs> ah, see, I can't do it.
0: No, you can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but you got the macho man though. You got that one.
2: Well, I tried to do it as a macho man and just wasn't. Oh, no, I can't no, no, no. I can't do it as macho man as Ron Simmons. <laughs>
0: <laughs> macho man as Ron Simmons. But you could do Macho Man seeing Farouk and being like, hey. Weren't you in WCW at one point? (laughs) Didn't you beat Vader
2: for the WCW (laughs) championship?
0: Didn't you have a last name when you first got here? (laughs) Where's your helmet at? Right. (sighs) (laughs) So, to Blaustein, though, the critics had WWF all wrong. He said... The WWF isn't about fighting; it's about spectacle, and that part is very true. WWF was very big on the spectacle. However, it's not great though when it outweighs the actual content. You know, (laughs) while we're here, the the subject matter. You know. Yeah. It's it's the uh, what's it the uh, something over is what's still saying. I'm missing. I'm missing it right now. (laughs) It's right (laughs) on the tip of my tongue. They they brought. The The style, the substance over style. That's what I was saying. WWF with style, it can be at times, at least, style over substance. Mm -hmm. A lot of times.
2: That's how they got me. Even the product
0: today. The spectacle,
2: man. That's how I became a fan.
0: Well, I think think that's how a lot of people became fans. Because you're a kid, and you see that spectacle, and it just draws you in. It's enchanting. But as you get older, because you've seen it time and time again, I guess you become used to it. Right. I guess, in some ways, you become jaded. So, you're looking more for that substance. And sometimes, WWE can hit on that substance. A lot of times, they don't. <laughs> That's a <the> problem today. <laughs> they are very much so style of a substance. You look at the show, they got all these lights, you know. Oh, we're in the Performance Center. The ratings are going down. What do we need? More lights. <laughs> they, go to the, they go to the Thunderdome. They just have a, a lot more lights and a lot more bells and whistles. But the show still stinks, so... <laughs> they're very much so style of a substance now na- that nowadays but people still want to be emotionally invested so you have that emotional investment it could you know you can complement it with the style and the bells and whistles but WWE just for some reason just don't you know but they're, they're, I give them credit they're great at creating the spectacle and the pomp and circumstance and the grandeur just just that substance is just isn't there mm-hmm. Just isn't there. Preach. So then we get a look at Jim. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got you. I got you. So then we get a look at Jim Ross, who is in talent relations. He's I think he's the guy running the talent relations and winner's office. And Jim Ross, he's straight all about business. <laughs> he don't <laughs> give a damn about the style. He's all about the substance. He's all uh, I a, care about, a, I don't care a, who a, wins a, or loses. Go ahead.
2: No, I was gonna say uh, AEW fans won't like this one. <laughs>
0: No, because he don't care about who wins or loses. None of this, the, the bells and whistles. As long as there's an ass every eighteen inches, he is good.
2: <laughs> what a way! That's to all put he it. cares about. What a way to put it. Right. By the way, that and is it, what baby buy. Because I didn't know what the hell he said, and I, I didn't hear that. So that's what baby buy it on Amazon Prime. I needed to find out what the hell he said. <laughs> <laughs> like i heard ass but that was it i was like what what did he say every 18 inches oh oh jim
0: but every 18 inches and he pretty much echoes that same sentiment to this day <laughs> like jim ross is a man of principle. He, he has his principles and he's stuck to him listen pretty much he said guy. on
2: this podcast when we had him as a guest the titles are props and now like maybe he just wants to it's really easy to fall in when when you're working with somebody for that long to kind of fall into their line of thinking. But Jim Ross was good at it. Like he did exactly what was asked of him by Vince McMahon. And uh, maybe he bought into that or he was just doing his job. But, you know, even post WWE, he, you know, says the same type of thing. But, you know, he says with AEW now, he can kind of focus on the competition and that type of stuff. Uh, Like, I don't know if he would say that today, though. I would say it.
0: That. i've said it multiple times the titles are i mean they're a story because it's all fictional at the end of the day but i'll say it again i've said it many times in this podcast i'll say it again the prop is as important as you make it <laughs> you know yeah like you know you watch who's on it anyway they do the prop segment <laughs> they can make a, a foam finger seem super important in that 30 seconds they have it like it's great you know what i'm saying like it's just the prop is as important as you make it so uh so that's my little theory on Spiel, on mm. the title prop thing. Uh, but then we get a glimpse at the merchandise. We're in the merchandise meeting with Vince McMahon. He's got his glasses down on his nose. He's all inquisitive and trying to look smart. He's got his reading glasses on. And somebody's spouting off a bunch of stats about WWF being one of the top two licenses going alongside South Park. And it made wow. me remember just how much of a juggernaut South Park was back in the day. Like that show was huge it was. in the first hit in the late 90s. Massive, massive show. Uh, and then Blaustein was pretty much showing how much of, of, of a promotional machine WWF was back in the early, the late 90s and early 99. Uh, and it was still growing. Mm-hmm. Because, like I said earlier, later in 99, WWF went public. Publicly traded company, IPO, and they have shareholders, which still, you know, have to this day, obviously. But even by, you know, you look at what they, what WWF was in nineteen ninety nine, before it went public, when it's still pretty much a family run business, it was still a monster of a company. Like <laughs> if you put nineteen ninety nine WWF and transported it to twenty twenty one, people will still be like, whoa, what a big promotional machine this is, like. Buy- Pro wrestling standards is still a monster. You know, it ain't nothing what it is in reality. But WWF was machine, a promotional machine since the mid-80s, pretty much. Since Vince took over, let's just say that. Since Vince Jr. took over. So, then we move to Jim Bell. He's a senior vice president of merchandising. And he said that, (laughs) this is kind of weird, that there's a direct correlation between WWF and the Muppets. (laughs) I was like, did he just relate? kind of correlate restless like Steve Austin to Kermit the Frog? Oh, is that what he's saying?
2: Well, that dude went to jail <laughs> for like illegal crap. He did? He did. <laughs> he did. Jim, Jim Bell. Bell. Yeah. What did he do? I, I think I read Um, he, let's see, he received an eight-month prison sentence and three years of probation. Uh, this is from PWInside.com. Oh, man. I'm looking at a story
0: from the LA Times. Oh, wow. Yeah. Was, so, uh, former licensing chief for World Wrestling Entertainment admitted Thursday that he accepted kickbacks in, returning, in return for steering the licensing rights for several WWE products made by others. Wow. James K. Bell, WWE's former senior vice president of licensing and merchandising, pleaded guilty in U.S. District Court in Bridgeport, Connecticut to one federal count of mail fraud. Wow, this dude's a shyster. <laughs> and, and announcing the plea. The U.S. Attorney's Office in Connecticut didn't disclose the licensing licenses or companies involved in Bell's scheme, but WWE, in purchasing separate, a separate civil suit against Bell, Wow, against Bell, Malibu-based toy company Jack Pacific, and others alleging that that they helped Jax wrongfully secure a video game license from WWE in 1998, which would, I guess would eventually become SmackDown, the video games. There's Jax and Jax. THQ mates. Oh, yeah. J A K K S.
2: I just remember they Jax were doing Pacific. the action figures. I didn't realize they were in the video. They did game I think thing.
0: they did that too. Oh. I'm pretty sure. Oh, that was that Ukes. Maybe that was Ukes who's doing SmackDown with video games. I got maybe I got my companies mixed up. Yeah, it was Ukes. Y U K E S. But Jax has denied any wrongdoing. So let me see. I'm trying to see if they get a sentence here. It said the attorney's office said that under a scheme that ran from ninety eight to two thousand. So who's running this scheme while beyond the mat? <laughs> <laughs> while doing beyond the mat. Wow. Incredible. Receiving commissions on license agreements, to which he was, it was not entitled. Bell didn't get kickbacks from SSO. SS, okay, so Bell arranged for an outside WWE license agreement. Agent, SS and A Associates. SS and Associates? Okay, SS and Associates, Incorporated to receive commissions on licensing agreements to which it was not entitled. Bell didn't get kickbacks from SS and Associates. Owned by licensing agent Stanley Shanker. It sounds like a... Shyster to (laughs) himself according to bell's plea bell was released on fifty thousand dollars bond man and they sued him crazy that's why i had never known yeah i never knew how about that pleaded guilty oh man so he said what did he uh get for this
2: uh, he, he received time? an eight-month yeah, prison, prison sentence and three years of probation.
0: Oh wow! Yeah, yeah eight, eight months and three years of probation. Wow! And his homie Schenker got two years and mm. two two years in probation, nine months in prison. Woo!
2: Yeah.
0: I, the more you know. I had yeah. no idea.
2: It's it's kind of buried so don't in there. So I didn't really uh, read much of the Wikipedia. But it's in there. It's kind of buried a little bit, though. I was like, oh. I kind of read, like, the Wikipedia things to put me in that mindset before I watch something. So I had saw that, and I was like, oh, okay.
0: <laughs> wow. So don't take anything this guy says seriously. Since <laughs> he's a, it all. <laughs> out here. It's probably
2: what Earl Hebner knew, uh, learned all his shyster ways.
0: Oh, man. Here we go. Here we go. More Earl Hebner hate. But, all right, so after that, after Jim Bell, <laughs> the, <laughs> the shamed senior VP of merchandising <laughs> from WWE, <laughs> it just so happened the same day that Blaustein was at Titan Tower, was the same day that Drozd, Dan Drozdoff, mm. was there for a meeting with Vince McMahon. And they talked about how, you know, Drozdoff went from a football player for the Denver Broncos. Where I, I forgot about that. I forgot he played football for the Broncos. What?
2: You forgot?
0: That's what... Oh wow! I did. I didn't. I forgot until I watched this documentary again. But <laughs> he went from a Broncos player to pro wrestler, and eventually, when he's trying to get into pro wrestling, a word gets to Vince McMahon that Draws can essentially puke on command, and of course, this means for for whatever reason in Vince McMahon's mind, this means money <laughs> he had dollar signs in his eyes when he heard that and that's the thing with vince you can't tell him anything no hidden talents no hobbies because he's gonna make it your wrestling character on tv ask bob holly <laughs> when he told vince mcmahon yeah I, I mean i worked on cars sometimes like you're a stock car driver now i was like what <laughs> your Thurman sparky plug get out of here go ahead and make me some money <laughs> like <laughs> and i and i watched that um that movie that you put out, the main event with uh, like this little kid becomes a wrestler, and it's got Kofi Kingston in it, and it's got Keith Lee in it. Keith Lee is not Keith Lee; he's a fictional character. But this fictional character's gimmick is that he can sing. It's like Keith oh. Lee should take every exactly take every copy of this movie. It's on Netflix. He so can't take every copy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, on, it's on digital parent, streaming platforms. Parental
2: controls on Vincent's. Uh Netflix account.
0: <laughs> right. Don't tell him the password. Because if Vince gets a glimpse of uh, of Keith Lee singing, he might make him like a Barry White type of character. It's like, oh, no. Uh, don't be surprised if it happens in a couple of years. You heard it here first. All right? but and you know, that might bring the
2: casuals in. How crazy is that? <laughs> you, that'd never be wild. you never know. You
0: never know. That'd be wild if... Keith Lee is out here getting his Gerald LaVerde on <laughs> <laughs> on Raw and that's what makes people want to watch out here getting his Luther Vandross on. Back to song.
2: 5.0 ratings.
0: Yeah, I don't think it doesn't get carried away. <laughs> They'd be happy with 2 million people watching. <laughs> that's true. Back to, back, back to the Monday Night Wars numbers. <laughs> Keith Lee would stop wrestling at that and He'd just become he a singer. Looked, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. Just, just go on tour, everybody. bro. <laughs> yeah. Right, just go on tour. Just go on tour. If you get WWE, you sell some records at this out this thing. But in draws's case, it was puking on command, and Vince heard this and literally, literally, named him Puke, and he said, "It's not just puke, you know. It's not just puke, okay? It's puke. Huh? huh? You like that, huh?" Vince, Vince is wild, bro. Vince's <laughs> idea
2: was. Go ahead. I was gonna say you could tell like he was so he was enjoying this so much. Like and I don't think he was like putting on anything. I think he legitimately no. was like yeah, puke has a nice connotation to it. <laughs> like animal, hawk, <laughs> and puke. puke. Like, he fit he fit right in, man. He fit right in. He fit in, right
0: in. Vince's idea for puke was that he would just pretty much puke. On people yeah. for his matches
2: and referees. That's disgusting.
0: Like, <laughs> yeah, referees, ring announcers, and once you puke on someone, then they would say your name. Puke. Like, what?
2: You got to have Vince her is
0: all mapped out in his head. What is up in his head?
2: You got to have her all ref all his matches.
0: Oh my God. I don't, no, in a
2: hazmat suit. <laughs> like, what? He'd probably be a better ref in a hazmat suit.
0: Uh, maybe, maybe, but. What is wrong with Vince McMahon? That's the that's the question here. <laughs> is,
2: we got a good glimpse of that <laughs> uh, when he, he met is with Puke. Thr- it was just, oh.
0: He is what they say. He is throwed off. Like, what is wrong with him? Shot out. What? He, that's that's what you came up with. This is your money making idea.
1: <laughs> like, <laughs> Puke.
2: Sometimes the simplest and, ideas are the best. I guess. Oh, th- I not don't to know mention, who I'm not- trying to be. That, I should I should have just used my normal voice. What the hell was that? That wasn't even Vince. <laughs> right? it wasn't even Macho Man. Like what the hell?
0: I don't know what that was. That that was something. <sighs> I just let it slide. I wasn't gonna say nothing. <laughs> I was gonna let you have that one. You're too nice. But, You're too nice. <laughs> not only is it disgusting to puke on people every night, I don't think it's the healthiest thing to do because if before you vomit, your mouth and your stomach is aligned with acid because it's not with like it, it aligns. It, it's, acid- it's acidic vomit. That's why when before you puke, you, you you feel your your jaw inner jaw like it's like a lining in it. That's protects your inner mouth from acid the acidity of vomit. So he's just doing this every night. That can't be good. I don't oh, think I
2: can't
1: you
0: would think if probably dehydrated and stuff like that's not good. I don't know. It's just not good. And like you said, Vince puke has a nice connotation to it. It's like what and what and who, who said that. Mm. puke is good puke is nice <laughs> what? it fits our WWF attitude <laughs> what are you saying Vince McMahon what part of the attitude is somebody vomiting on command every night mind you Vince is like 52 <laughs> like, he's not like a frat boy or something like, it's not like he's like in college thinking of this stuff he is a grown man businessman
2: Billionaire a successful at one point.
0: at that <laughs> Right, like millions of dollars worth of money, he could have retired right then and there and been made. Instead, he's still working to this day. So of course, because Vince is, this, is, is a crazy person, he's like, "All right, you good? Well, I got one thing for you." And he reaches back behind his desk and grabs a, a bin, a trash bin, a trash can. And like, right, I got a one more crash for you here. And he puts the can on his desk. Hands it to Draws. It's like, I want you to puke right now. Not only is Vince, of course, there, also Shane McMahon and JR are there. They didn't ask for this. <laughs> right? They're sitting there, like, oh, okay. I'm going to do this now. And of course, Vince and his just, he's just wild. He's a wild boy. He coaches Draws to puke right in front of him. He coaches him, huh? Huh? You're going to do that? Huh? Huh? Like, he literally said, huh, like five times. Huh? Huh? you ready you're gonna you think you're gonna you feeling sick huh huh is he gonna is it? Is he's gonna puke and that's like the legendary scene of beyond the mat like, if you if anybody references one scene of beyond the mat it's Vince McMahon's meeting with dan draws because he's gonna puke ah, ah, ha, 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 ha. he just and jaws because he i guess he didn't eat anything that day or but it got he a really little teeny bit up yeah. Which is like, that's fine, Dries. Like it's okay, bro. Like, Vince don't worry. Laughing like a hyena. He's like <laughs> He thought it was the funniest.
1: <laughs> like
0: big hearty laugh, mouth wide open, teeth glaring, like this is the funniest thing Vince did all day. What is wrong with there's something wrong with him? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, <laughs> like when you really think about it, there's something wrong with Vince. There's something wrong with him. But, I mean, after all that, Draws gets a contract. <laughs> he, <did. laughs> he, he impressed Vince enough to sign a deal, and good for Dra- Dan Droz off. He achieved his dream of becoming a pro wrestler. He calls his mom and even told her his new name. He's like, Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm Puke. <laughs> and <laughs> she was like, What? <laughs> all right, Dan. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're paying you? All right. Yeah. You know. <laughs> That's all I care about. Full, you gonna be on TV full time? full time? Okay. Yeah, I don't know how I'm gonna tell my my friends at church that my son is a wrestler named Puke. But <laughs> look, if you're happy, if you like it, I love it. You know, like, so, yeah, whatever. You know, as long as the check says Dan Jostoff on it, I'm good. <laughs> like, <laughs> so it, it was it was kind of a touching moment, you know, to see yeah. someone's dream comes true, and it was and it was kind of a sad moment at this. It's kind of bittersweet knowing what happens to his career in hindsight that it ended. Yeah. Abruptly, and his life changed mm-hmm. abruptly and dramatically since then. Because now he's he's paralyzed, so mm-hmm. uh, that's unfortunate. But it was, you know, at least in that moment, it was a nice, touching moment. Uh, so we then we go from the top of the industry all the way down to all pro wrestling in California, <laughs> like like <laughs> <Wait>, what <laughs> very big swing in like the levels of pro wrestling here, yeah, to say the least. And because, <laughs> you know, he's he's his mind is like, all right, I see the finished product here. But how do people actually be, get into the business? How do people work their way up? How do people get to WWF? So he went to a wrestling school called All Pro Wrestling in California. And what I noticed is that, what I thought about at least, is that the process to become a professional wrestler today is much more accessible than it was in the late 90s. Because I'm not sure... There were some, obviously, but there weren't a ton of wrestling schools back in the 90s. And the the, the list of reputable ones that wouldn't just take your money and teach you nothing, that list was probably really small. Whereas today, it's like there's plenty of reputable, I wouldn't say plenty, but there's a good amount of reputable schools out there. And you can get noticed because of the internet. Where back in the 90s, you could be... Toiling down in that school, and no one sees you Mm -hmm. until the promoter takes you to a show, which is what the APW promoter did, Roland Alexander, who we'll meet in a second. But, like, the process is much more accessible and much more streamlined, even for WWE, because WWE didn't have like a real developmental system in the 90s. They had like, uh, they would send people to Calgary, they might send people to Memphis, or you know, something like that. They send people to different places here and there, but it wasn't like a real formulated system like they do today with the NXT.
2: No, so. They had, um, yeah, there are developmental territories that technically, you know, the promoter didn't work for WWE. Sometimes I think it's Jim Cornette technically worked for WWE when he was smoking yeah. mountain, but yeah, that, like, and they, and I, OVW I remember too. like, yeah, OVW. O- o- that was the one, the first territory I kind of came to know, uh, because of the internet, everyone was like, "Oh, did you watch o- OVW last night?" And I was like, "Well, where is it? Like, it's not in the Philly market. What the hell, you know?" <laughs> um, this was before YouTube, you know, got big, and uh, it could be on YouTube. And now I think OVW now has a weekly show on YouTube. I think a lot of promotions do, but yeah, it wasn't like that back then. I remember being like, everyone was glowing about OVW, and I was like, I was like, I thought the co- the logo looked cool, and I was like, oh, I really want to watch this show. How how can I watch it? <laughs> So actually, the W's got arms. It's got muscles. Yeah, man. It was, it was, oh, it was the V.
0: Is it the V in OVW? Yeah. I think the V in OVW
2: got uh, muscles. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's I the V. Know, but it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, cool that, logo. And then it was like Deep South Wrestling, stuff like that. So I started, you know, this was before, obviously, NXT, even before Florida Championship Wrestling, and uh, kind of understood as I grew up as a fan, you know, the – I guess the role developmental brands played for WWE especially because I'm not even sure WCW had one at that point. Well, they had the power plant. Well, I mean, that was their own technically. Like No. No, no, like they weren't – it wasn't a brand that went out and actually produced shows in front of people. Um, And that was OVW. They just had the school. Yeah. So OVW was the first one that I like became aware of uh, thanks to the the internet.
0: That's that's yeah, that's fair. I I never watched OVW during his heyday because I guess I wasn't as internet savvy as you were at that point in time. At <laughs> well, least.
2: I think it was because like CM Punk was coming up. but it was right before he signed with WWE or he was on his what? Or maybe he already did and they sent him there. He first already did before ECW. So yeah,
0: because um, he was Ring of Honor. Then he they sent him to OVW to right. develop.
2: Yeah, so it was like he was. And there might have been someone else there that I was like interested in watching and I couldn't, but. Yeah, I was like, OVW, man, they have the yellow ropes. They're awesome. Oh, man, still (laughs) sucking sucker for those yellow ropes.
0: So before OVW, though, we're in APW, All Pro Wrestling. And according to CageMatch.net, All Pro Wrestling has not run a show since July 12th,
1: 2019.
0: Uh, So that's long before the pandemic. So we can't say the Mm -hmm. pandemic halted APW. Uh, but even that last show was a co-promoted show with Gold Rush Pro Wrestling, so I guess that'd be GRPW. Okay. Okay. Uh, but that show hasn't had a show that that promotion hasn't had a show since January twenty fourth, twenty twenty. So we can say, uh, I guess, it looks like the the pandemic did kind of halt things for, uh, you know, G-R-P-W. Gold Rush Pro Wrestling. Yeah. Um, and that was the only show that that promotion had since APW's last show in (laughs) in 2019. Hmm. So, uh, you know, the pandemic halted that promotion and many other independent promotions around the country uh, from really running shows, which is unfortunate. Uh, But APW in the late 90s was still being run by Roland Alexander, who by day was an accountant and by night was a Wrestling trainer slash promoter. So, you know, I you know, if you're an accountant, I guess you know, it's, I guess it's good to have an accountant on your payroll <laughs> if you're a wrestling promotion because at least they're going to be good with the books. You would think, you know, uh, to have an accountant. Yeah,
2: yeah. I guess if they're somebody, not, somebody they're not good doing with numbers. Sh- if they're not doing shystery stuff.
0: Well, that's true. You would assume that their skill set is good for the bookkeeping. That don't mean their personality is good for Mm. the bookkeeping,
2: (laughs) you know. the morals. Roland here was talking out of both sides sides of his mouth uh, during this. So.
0: Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Uh, (laughs) As we will see in the next scene, when you know after we 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 get an introduction to him, we see him sitting down with a couple of guys who want to get into wrestling. And these guys are like they have no business in pro wrestling, but they're there.
2: Yeah, John, like, John, trying to get John Cena and Batista. Crazy, right? <laughs>
0: right, I know. We're looking at two, you know, tomato cans, ham and eggers here, <laughs> as Bobby Heenan would say. <laughs> looking oh, like they strange. don't belong in pro wrestling. And, and Alexander sat him down. Like, look, man, there's no money out in Independence, which is true for the most part. Mm-hmm. Then he asked him, Hey you guys are good at you know reading the back of nutritional you know labels and stuff like that you know and making sure you eat properly and are you committed to making a $500 deposit today? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe not today but at some point. <laughs> maybe not on the spot. But uh <laughs> but then we get introduced to one of Roland Alexander's top students and his name is Tony Jones who had a good job working at visa credit card company i I mean Mm. i'd assume it's still a good job today (laughs) like i don't know anybody that works for credit card companies today but in the late 90s i assumed that was a good job and he even said like i'm making good money you know i'm all right but he was only making like 25 bucks a show at apw so he Mm. in his mind uh, you know i'm doing it for the experience sometimes i don't even get paid then we cut immediately to Roland Alexander. He says, "I'm probably the best paying promoter <laughs> out there. <laughs> like, like, I'm I, yeah. like like I'm one of the best paying guys." And then Tony Jones is like, "Yeah, Alexander, he may not pay you because he'll only pay you when you feel like you've had a good match. Right. <laughs> like, <Right. laughs> like." And then Roland Alexander is like, "Look, man, you know, I'm I'm the guy. Like, sometimes you gotta be a prick. <laughs> you can't let the wrestlers walk all over you. I mean, yeah. come on. Like, what, what? Do you, what do you want from me?" Like. <laughs> How you gonna sit here and pay this man twenty dollars for 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 a match and be like I'm one of the best paying guys out there? And then you have another guy saying like oh, I might not even get paid. <laughs> what? So
2: uh, wrestling promoters, man.
0: Wrestling promoters. Eight. Ron Alexander did not paint a great picture for especially independent wrestling promoters. Mm-hmm. Um, because he definitely had some, and I don't want to you know. Disrespect the dead because he did die in 2013 at the age of 59. Uh, So, rest in peace, real Alexander. But I can see how somebody would watch this and get like shystery vibes from him. Like, like, you know, uh, one of those shystery promoter vibes from Alexander, where he's still, you know, kind of meaning well and, you know, at the end of the day, probably good to you, but he still might not be 100% great to you. You know, not all the time. By the way, Fernando Tatis just got paid. I did you saw see this? That. I did. <laughs> Ooh, Lord, Fourteen Jesus. years.
2: Fourteen years. That's Three, wild. <laughs> Three hundred and forty million dollars. Was he a goaltender?
0: What do you, you <laughs> sign <Rick> Pietro? <laughs>
2: he. Fourteen uh, years. Breaking news: Fernando Tatis Jr. is not an indie professional wrestler.
0: No, <laughs> they paid him twenty five dollars. <laughs> Nothing He getting like a thousand dollars at bat. Are you serious?
2: <laughs> just for plate appearance, not even at bat, just a plate appearance, right? If he walks, thousand dollars an bat. inning, <laughs>
0: yeah. right? Are you serious? This is 340 million for 14. Now, how much is that over the course of 14 years? You got to do the math on that. It's
2: 34 divided by 14. I got what's Woo! 14 times 2 is 28. Uh, that's, that's 24 million uh, a year yeah so
0: crazy. it's not really like 24 million a year i mean that's not actually like a ridiculously high number if you do it by per year but that's still over the course of 14 years bro <laughs> that's a long contract
2: and this is great because my uh, I, I don't know if it makes a difference but my preseason pick for the nl west champions are the san diego padres
0: Look at that, look at that, to yeah. d- d- throw the Dodgers, look at you Absolutely. taking a risk. $2 bet
2: for, uh, I picked all the winners, a six-team parlay, $2 could win me $2,000, so stay oh, tuned. Oh man,
0: I'll, t- I'll take that bet, I'll take that bet, but uh, Dodgers won the division eight years in a row, bro. Yeah, I,
1: know. <laughs> I know, that's
2: why the odds are so Anyone <laughs> And they won the static. World Series last year. <laughs> that's why the, and they just added the Cy Young Award winners, so, uh, but hey, that's why I, I like taking risks sometimes.
0: I see. That's Two dollars in a bad risk. That's that's not too bad. But <laughs> you know who like fourteen <laughs> year contract for three hundred and forty million dollars? Tony Jones. <laughs> and Mike Modest. And, and Mike Modest. <laughs> they would split that contract. Seven years, uh a hundred and twenty million? Yes. Like whatever that math works out to be. <laughs>
2: I'll take that contract today. <laughs> Thank you. That's funny. They'll split it. Like, yeah, we'll split it. Yeah, they will split it.
0: What? Are you serious? Somebody said, "Hey, you, Vaughn and Nick, we'll give you a fourteen million three hundred forty dollars contract, but you got to split it." Where do I like, sign? You might like, okay. That's still over a hundred million dollars.
2: Yeah. I'm in. I'm in. Like,
0: yes, thank you. <laughs> like, you could have just sold me on the, the, the individual contract. I'm, That's right. One hundred seventy million dollars. Thank you. But um. Mike Modest didn't get 170 million dollars from wrestling. No, not at any, no. not in combined at any point in his career. But Mike Modest was Roland Alexander's golden boy, mm. so much so that he gave Mike Modest a room above the gym, and like his name, his living arrangements were modest. <laughs> Let's just say that. <laughs> well, he had the room, and it was kind of messy. And he had a bed. He had a cat, and that was about it. But, you know, I guess he was saving some money, you know, between wrestling, you know, he worked at a funeral home, you know, picking up bodies and whatnot, whatnot. Uh, but Mike Modis, you know, fast forward a little bit. He had a pretty decent career, all things considered, you know, that he was just an indie guy working with Roland Alexander. He worked a lot in Japan, which he predicted on the show. Like yeah, my my best work is going to come in Japan, not on the show, on this documentary, I should say. He called it like, he spoke it into existence.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm going to have to go to Japan to get the best work, because they still appreciate the sport over there, not necessarily the entertainment. Ooh. and taking shots, and he did. Wait, well, <laughs> but it's true. It's true. Yeah, it was and true. He, he won a nowhere junior heavyweight title. You know, he, he you know, he, he did some things over in Japan. So, and he's still out here training people. So, good for Mike Modest. But on the Beyond the Mad he was picking up dead bodies off the side of the. You know, off. Of, out of corners' offices, I assume, uh, at a funeral home. Um, <laughs> and then they shoot a show, an APW show, which Blossie said had a record crowd of 112,000. No, no, no. Oh, wait, <laughs> what? Not 112,000? Just 112. Okay, okay. 112 people at wow. this show. So it's wrestling, man. That's still the crowd of an independent wrestling show today, or like would have been twenty nineteen. Like, if there's right. two hundred people at an indie show, that's good. <laughs> that's a good night. Yeah, that's a good been, big house. Would have been
2: trending on Twitter in nineteen ninety nine or whatever year that was.
0: Right, <laughs> like two hundred people. Like, yeah, I think as much as PWG was a very popular wrestling promotion, they couldn't fit more than like hundred and fifty people in that building they was running in in Reseda, California. That wasn't a big building. Period. Mm-hmm. Uh, but most promotions is running, like, probably 200, 300 people. If they got 500 people, that's like WrestleMania weekend numbers. Like, we got 500 people here. Like, what? <laughs> we raking in the dough. Like So that's not really surprising that there's 112 people at this show, one of which spat on one of the wrestlers. Oh, man. Not a that good idea. Ridiculous. For one, that's very disrespectful. Don't spit it, on people. It, it is,
2: and then the whole like hey man, like what's the problem? <laughs> like like really? <laughs> like dude wanted to rip his face off and he's looking at the wrestler, like the wrestlers on in the wrong just because he's the wrestler and not you know, he's not supposed to touch the fans, but you can do that. Like, no. That shouldn't be how it works ever. Especially when you do something like that. Yeah, that was trash. That was
0: by that person. so if you're still out there you're listening shame on you sir
2: yeah you're still getting yeah. come at us 20- at, at us on twitter I've got a problem with it
0: yeah beyond the matt spitting guy yeah guy in, was it green shirt they said he was in
2: yeah yeah
0: he almost got his ass dumped <laughs> over the balcony. that <laughs> <laughs> like, like, dude was hot bro and i don't blame like modest
2: would have had to come clean him up
1: <laughs>
0: take a don't even take it to the hospital take us straight to the funeral home right now <laughs> yeah. Mike mike can you get this can you just just do out of here <laughs> like you do what to do with this you this is your wheelhouse son I'm want to do with this give you a bonus. you're the funeral guy that's funny <laughs> uh but apparently Blousey said that the the guy who got spat on was a mechanic for United Airlines yeah <laughs> he, <laughs> he almost lost his job that night though and like if he had dumped homeboy and beat his ass like right then and there he might have been in jail and lost his job so they the people were really saving him from himself from not ruining his life right because he wanted to murder this clown of a guy who's at this APW show in 1998 (laughs) or whatever (laughs) (laughs) with 112 other marks in the building (laughs) all men by the way yeah
2: all so of which were men. They're, they're uh sign of a good time. That was probably a Friday oh, night. Oh. It's like, yo, we got to go to this show. <laughs> this is what I'm doing my Friday night. Let me tell you what I'm doing. I'm going to hang
0: out with 111 other men, see, at this wrestling show. And I'm going to be
2: cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to spit on the wrestlers. It's going to be awesome.
0: Oh, yeah. that wrestler's is going to try to rip your damn face off, like you said. Like you said. Yeah. <laughs> I think that guy was like, he probably thought he was the coolest. He's like, I'm gonna tell all the chicks at the bar about this. That's exactly what I'm to I'm gonna go to the do. bar and tell all the chicks, Yeah, I spat this wrestler's face. He did nothing. Yeah, I'm gonna beat him up. You think I look bad? Look, you should have saw him. Yeah. He got mad. But he didn't do anything. He better be glad his friends held him back. I would have whooped his ass, okay? <laughs> Them 99, are like, hey,
2: get na- out of here. 99.9% sure that's exactly what happened.
0: Yeah, you don't get
2: out of here with your corny ass <laughs> Go on to this. What show was this called? APW. Yeah, what? I don't even know. Yeah, <laughs> do they even have a name for it? Did they mention in the documentary? I don't even remember.
0: For the promotion?
2: Yeah, no, like the show that night. Oh, well, Gym Wars, I think it was called. Uh, something like that. So I think that's did, what their show okay, called. they Gym did like a, a weekly thing that just. What they yeah, number, weekly or monthly, or something. something like that. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That's why I prefer ECW. So, Paul Heyman
2: came up with some cool names. I, I enjoyed them.
0: He did. He did. We're going to talk about Paul Heyman in a little bit here on Beyond the Map. Before that, we get Jr. Jim Ross watching Mike Modest and Tony Jones. Watching tape of them. And he's like, oh yeah, I'll give him a tryout. He gave him a tryout. <laughs> and then you get Roland Alexander getting all emotional about his boy Mike because He said he's too big to be a flyer, but too small to be a heavyweight. And he's like, the fact that Mike Modest doesn't have a contract is just forget the way oh. Wade described it, but he was emotional. Oh,
2: man. So, Brian Cage just powerbombed Sting on Dynamite, and that looked like oh dirt. damn! <laughs> oh, my God. Jeez. Sting uh, taking all right, bumps Sting. in 2021. <laughs> Alright.
0: Did he get up afterwards? Like, well, I, mean, I was guess he it. would. He would sell. Yeah. He would sell the power but, bomb from Brian Cage, but. still, is like all right. The power yeah. bomb. Yeah. It's taking bumps. All right. Yeah. He can take a bump, but the power bomb. All right. Yeah, all right. Let's go it's right forceful. back into that. Let's do it. Just just jump right back and out of the fire pit into the fire. I guess, but uh. Hmm. Jeez. Back to beyond the mat. <laughs> we get to tryout day. Is an episode of Raw. I don't know where. I guess I'd assume it's in California. And they show a lot of footage of people. Putting everything together for Raw. Which is pretty cool. You know. These people putting together the ring. And the lighting rigs. And all that. And then we get a shot of Jim Cornette. Giving a little pep talk to Tony Jones. And Mike Modest. You know. He's like. Hey man. You know. Control the crowd. You know. Uh, they don't know you. So they don't know your story. So you just go out there. And do your thing. Don't be worried about that. And one thing that. Tony Jones and Mike Modis noticed after they ran the ropes was that the ring was bigger. Obviously, because you know WWF, I think, still uses like the biggest ring, like yeah. that is twenty by twenty. Mm-hmm. Well a lot of promotions use eighteen by eighteen or even smaller is sixteen by sixteen. I'll and never, they were probably working on.
2: Go I just, ahead. I just don't understand that. Like, why wouldn't you just copy what WWE is doing and make the ring bigger? It's less room for a person to possibly get injured. I just. I don't get it. I think WWF's ring is like perfect for pro wrestling.
0: Yeah, but maybe you know, maybe you can't afford to have the bigger ring. Maybe it depends on your space. Hmm. I don't know.
2: Get out of here. I don't oh, know. That, Roland Alexander pocketing the money so you didn't have a bigger ring. <laughs> Should be in jail with Jim <laughs> Bell or whatever the hell is it. Jim Bell? Oh right? Oh, My God. <laughs> I just, I mean, I think about I think, WCW's ring back then and how small it was compared to like when I watch WWE now. It's just like, I'm like, wow, they really moved, you know, in that ring and had some great matches in that ring, but it was tiny as hell. Like, uh, it, it just stands out so much more to me now than it did then.
0: All right, that's enough ring talk for right now. We <laughs> talk a lot about ring sizes and, oh, it was 18 or 20 or 16, oh, whatever. Let's move on to. Bruce Pritchard giving instructions to Mike Modis and Tony Jones before they walk out, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I remember Blaustein saying that and this is when you really kind of see the kind of the shistiness of the wrestling promoter stuff here. When Blaustein mentioned that Roland Alexander was really nervous. It's probably more nervous than the wrestlers themselves because if Modis and Jones had secured a WWE contract, he would get 20% of their deals, which is oh so whack. (laughs) Yeah. But it's like an old school wrestling promoter thing that they would do. That wasn't like, it wasn't like Roland Alexander invented that. That was a thing that people would do back in the day. If you got books somewhere else, if you got a big contract, something like that, and you came from here, then I want to cut at this or whatever. I always felt that was kind of slimy to me. Yeah, 100 percent
2: felt
1: like, like
0: really CD behavior. And to it was twenty percent of maybe both
2: contracts. Like it
0: would have been he would have been both rich. contracts. He would have been rich. <laughs> Off of two guys who probably they I'm sure they learned a lot from Roland Alexander School, but they would have got a great education in the WWF too. Don't get it twisted. But Maybe you hook Roland Alexander up with a one-time sum of money because he did, after all, he did facilitate the tryout, right? Mm-hmm. He did teach them, he did train them, and he did facilitate the trial. He got them in front of Jim Ross and, and Vince McMahon and Jim Cornette and all those guys. Um, So that means something. Okay, maybe you'll hook it you up with a one-time sum, right? Maybe it's the amount that I paid you in wrestling school. I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. But to just have 20% of my money for the length of my contract, that's that's asking too much.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Also, 20% is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. That's a hell of a lot of money. So, in theory, if, let's say they, they... And I doubt they would have, probably. I don't know. I mean, you know, what kind of contract they would have signed. But let's say, in theory, they would have signed $100,000 contracts with WWE mm-hmm. per year. Which would have been a good sum of money, I guess, for two guys just starting out. Mm-hmm. That means... Roland Alexander gets $20,000 of that off top. Yep. Cutting them down to $80,000. That's not mentioning taxes mm-hmm. and hotels and rental cars that they got to pay out of pocket because remember, they're still independent contractors. So, like, what? No, 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 no. no. I, I don't, no, I don't, I don't like that. I don't think, like I said, I think that's slimy behavior. Like, you're still making your money off of the school. And off of promoting your shows with 110 people in the crowd, which is a record, all right, don't take 20% of my check, bro. I still, yeah, you you helped me get here, but I still earned it. Like I said, to go out and earn that. You know what I'm saying? Like, people still got to go out and do that. It's like an NFL player paying back the college coach that got him drafted or something like that. Or the, the NFL player paying back a high school coach who got him recruited to a, a big school or something like that. Like, no. Yeah. You know, yeah, you help me. And high school coaches do that all the time. They'll send tape to different coaches. At least they did back in the day. Uh They might still do it today. But they'll send tape to different college coaches and stuff like that, try to get their kids signed and uh, you know picked up, or get them a scholarship to a big school or whatever. That don't mean said player when he gets to the league is you know, he he owes a high school coach twenty percent. No, yeah, like get out of here. That doesn't how that. That's not how it works. And I thought that was a. I know it's show business to a certain extent. That might happen to show business a lot, but that's always been like, a, uh, I don't like that. That's that's yeah. kind of slimy behavior to me. It is. Yeah. So the actual match itself happens. We got Vince, Corny, and JR gathered around a monitor watching the match. Actually, I'm not sure that happened every time. They probably were just doing it for <laughs> the cameras. Probably. Because I'm sure Vince is very busy. <laughs> he didn't have time to just watch Mike Modest and Tony Jones he didn't even have time to do it on Beyond the Match so I'm pretty sure he didn't have time to do it in real life uh, but I found it funny when <laughs> Vince said "Like, oh a good wrestling move you know, I can appreciate that like, I'm like what <laughs> since when does Vince like appreciate a good
2: wrestling move like, it was that like, power- like something Vince would care about it was like a powerbomb he's like oh we gotta clean that up <laughs> what, what are you talking about <laughs> it didn't like it hurt <laughs> No, it, like, it hurt. Like, the way,
0: uh, what's-the-name landed? I think it was Mike Modis who landed on that power bomb. It Looked like it. it looked, ooh, okay. And then, I think Mike Modis hit another move, and JR and Corny popped real big for it. It's like, oh, wow! Like, I'd never seen that one before! And somebody in the back is like, I'm stealing it! <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Like, Damn, sucker! That's why you watch these tryout matches to steal moves? Mm-hmm. Alright, mm-hmm.
2: guess. You see, like, Roland's reaction kind of like, come on, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're really going to do my boy like that? <laughs> right. Like, he ain't, ain't getting no money for this.
1: I'm taking 10 of it. Move. Yeah, <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I'm already getting 20% of it. So, leave oh. him alone. two, three. You're listening to The Straight Shooters, featuring Vaughn Johnson and Nick Picones giving you the best and worst in the world of professional wrestling past and present. The Straight Shooters podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, the Radio.com app, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Spreaker, Player FM, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts. You can become a patron of The Straight Shooters for only $2 per month. By signing up at patreon.com forward slash shooters radio, you'll get exclusive content never before heard from two of the best. You can also listen to classic episodes of the straight shooters at shootersradio.com.
2: There was also a, a portion of this segment where I was, I knew like everything was predetermined, but it was just so it was different watching like DX and Jeff Jarrett in the back just like talking and like Normal, like coworkers, you know, it was just weird, it was so weird, and that's what I got out of the segment. Even with JR, Vince, Jim Cornette was watching it uh, the match, it was just weird. I was just like, Man, weird,
0: <laughs> guys. Are just you see a lot of guys just hanging out in hallways, yeah, in, in these back day shots. Yeah. Like, we saw have, like rooms, they got to sit down in the Royal
2: Rumble, uh. Road Dog and like Chaz were in the back, like yeah. yeah. When Mick Foley <laughs> just, was walking, was like, like what the hell? Yep.
0: <laughs> Why was Chaz just standing there? Like wasn't he? <laughs> like, Notice how I said, said Chaz. That I, didn't WWE. Even, I
2: didn't even say like Mosh. He was a headbanger. Right. I said
0: Chaz. He, he didn't have the makeup on. <laughs> but that did that like in WWE, like TV, like just to make it seem like people were like in yeah. the building, like they're yeah. in a, In reality, it's like. They do that and for real too. Like to just be <laughs> posted up against a wall for no reason. Right. Like, maybe he was waiting outside of a door or something. Or maybe he was waiting for somebody. I don't know.
2: Maybe you gotta be visible. You gotta, uh, it can't be in your no. Just, it can't be in your office. Can't be in your locker room. You gotta be visible.
0: Yeah, it's just there's a lot of loitering going on in <laughs> WWE's in backstage area WWE shows. So very unsafe. At, fire extinguisher. <laughs> 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 so after you know they. Everybody watched the match, you know. Jr. and Jim Cornette, like you know, they appreciated the effort. Uh, you know, that was nice. They you know thanked them for the effort. Jr. gave some little some good pointers, I think. You know, Tony Jones, hey, get some more flattering gear. You know, work <laughs> on your upper body a little bit more because it is an upper body business. Nick, I told you that <laughs> it's an upper body business. And then mm. Mick Foley comes up and it shakes Mike Modest's hand. Like, hey, man, good job. Like, he doesn't have to do that, you know. No, not at all. It's just a. A guy on a tryout match and Mick Foley is probably the champion. And he's like, Good job, man. You know, that's, I thought that was pretty dope. Yeah. yeah Mick Foley. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, they didn't get contracts and we learned that later. But I thought that at least they were treated with respect by at least, you know, JR he gave him some good pointers, you know, and hey, do this, do that. Like, not just, hey, good job and that's it. Like, he actually told them, like, this are things you could work on. Hmm. You know, left them with some advice. Yeah, we're not going to, maybe not today, but maybe in the future if you do XYZ. I think that's a good way to do that, you know. Say, like, hey, you're not good enough, but here's why, and here's what yeah. you could do. Yeah. So instead of just leaving somebody, you know, hanging in the wind, just wondering what the hell they did wrong, we then go from two people just starting out their careers in Mike modest and Terry Tony Jones to someone who is supposedly ending their career in Terry Funk. Spoiler alert. He was not. (laughs) This was at least Terry Funk's second retirement match kind of thing. I think he had a retirement match in 83 in Japan. (laughs) (laughs) And, of course, he did not retire. Um, But here we see this legendary wrestler. And the first time we see him, who, by the way, is Barry Blaustein's favorite wrestler. He admitted that this was his favorite wrestler growing up. First time we see Terry Funk is in his bedroom in his tidy whities as he's waking up. It's like, what a way to meet your hero <laughs> in his underwear. And then we transition to the, the wedding of Terry Funk's daughter. She's getting married off to, uh, I guess, a fine young man that Terry allowed her to marry. I'm sure he, he uh, made sure that this guy was the right one because Terry Funk is wild. <laughs> Even at his advanced age, he was wild, wild guy. But he's at his daughter's wedding and we get a glimpse with the family as they're getting the daughter ready to be a beautiful bride. They're getting her ready and they're talking I'm like, hey man, we're, we're happy he's finally retiring because we were starting to get worried about him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mind you, he's only 53 at this point. It's not like he's a decrepit old man, but he still has some miles on his body. Just for kind of a frame of reference, Undertaker and Goldberg are both older than Terry Funk. <laughs> like, Not like actuality, but I'm saying like they're both older than what Terry Funk was when they shot this mm. in 97. And Undertaker isn't wrestling anymore. But Goldberg is going to, he mm. just wrestled, when did, did he just wrestle? He just wrestled recently. Wasn't uh, that the Rumble against uh, Drew McIntyre?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's right. And he lost, go figure.
0: And he lost. How about that? he probably have he just another match at ago. Probably. He was just universal champion last year. So, <laughs> but in 97, you know, I guess, like I said, I said this before, but people, I guess they just take better care of themselves, number one, than they do did back in the day. Uh, but it's just an interesting thing that Terry Funk was like, clearly on the, the end, at the end of his career, or at least we thought he was. And Some guys are still going strong in their mid late 40s into their 50s, it's just different time, I guess.
2: And just uh, to piggyback off that, Mick Foley was 34 when he retired, like full time from WWF. You know, super he's, young, he, he's had matches since then, but full time, yeah. this era we're talking about 2000, his last real full run, well, even the beginning of 2000. Because it was right after WrestleMania, where he just kind of stopped wrestling full-time. He was 34 years old. That's really, incredible. Really, young. Yeah. More that's younger than I am right now.
0: now. <laughs> right, right. And by wrestling standards, that's really young. That's when you're yeah. kind of starting to enter your prime in like early to mid-30s. Mm-hmm. He was done because he had <laughs> yeah, beat his, his body, body all yeah, the hell. Yeah, exactly. Which we'll see later on to be on the Map. Uh, we will. But then we go, speaking of beating the body all the hell, we get to Terry Funk, who again, 53, and his family is worried about him. He goes to the doctor. (laughs) And the doctor said, in your quote-unquote good knee, you have moderate to severe arthritis. (laughs) That's his good knee, right? It wasn't going to function very well. He should just get by, by it just hurting all the time. What? That's his good knee, It's just gonna hurt get some painkillers ready and his other knee he had severe arthritis no joint space he completely wore it out like it was a flat tire at this point he needed a new knee he needed knee replacement surgery immediately the doctor was like you need it now like don't play around with this and if he didn't his knees were going to cause him a great deal of pain as he got older and he would not be able to get around comfortably and live comfortably if he had not gotten the surgery. And it's honestly what he's actually going through right now. I don't know if you heard, but Terry Funk is dealing with a lot of different pain and ailments yeah. right now. Yeah. So it's unfortunate. But all that stuff that some of these guys do to the bodies and it catches up with you at some point. You know, and they were telling Terry yeah, he- Funk in 97 like, yo, you're. Your good knee is trash. Yeah. Your he said, other sh- knee needs to, needs to exit <laughs> your body immediately.
2: And he, I remember him asking, he was like, uh, can I get around, you know, like without any pain or can <laughs> I, like without surgery, can I, would I <laughs> still get around? He's like, dude, you should be disabled right now. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and
0: the doctor was like, flat, no,
2: you should yeah. <laughs> No, get the knee replaced
0: right now. Incredible. So, yeah, poor Terry Funk, man. He just... He's just a wrestler, man, and that's what they do, I guess, you know, and it, he just didn't know when to stop, unfortunately, until his body said, look, man, we're not, the bo- we're not moving, like, <laughs> I'm done, I'm calling out, like, I'm done, I'm not letting you do this to me no more, you know, and it's, like I said, it's, we're kind of laughing at it, but it's kind of sad, because, you know, he's going through a lot right now. That is, it. what is he, like in his 70s? Like 76, I think it is right now. 78, something like that. Uh, Terry Funk, 76 years old. He'll be 77 in June. So, he's getting up there, man. Shout out to Terry Funk. But, <sighs> even though the knee told him, your knees are trash, they need to leave your body immediately. At least the one. <laughs> the, the, the not, <laughs> quote unquote, good one. That's not going to stop him. He's still had to be in philadelphia south philadelphia to be exact for ecw's first ever pay-per-view barely legal and when they're in the when they're in the hotel his wife said like yeah i wanted him to stop wrestling in 1990. (laughs) (laughs) damn it's 97. Mm. poor vicky funk she's like i waited seven years for this and he still wrestled for another 20 years Another 20. Wow. He's a wild guy. Wild. But,
2: wild. He went we get, to WCW you know, shortly
0: after this. I was like, whoa, Terry. No, come he on. Went he went to WWF it. shortly after this. Well, <laughs> he was in WWF, I guess. Then he went to WCW, yeah. yeah. So after this movie came out, he was in WCW. But yeah, when he was doing ECW, he
2: went yeah. to WWF after that yeah. <laughs> and had a run. Wait, wait. Who was he? Chainsaw Charlie couldn't have been Jeez. Terry Funk.
0: <laughs> That's true, that's true. That's a different person.
2: I was like, that dude looks familiar. I've seen him around. Why, what's he wearing on his face? <laughs> you know, weird stockings or something like that? I was like, oh, this is WWF's so way of not being sued by ECW.
0: Perfect. <laughs> Terry Funk. Wild guy, man. He's a wild guy. So, again, in Philly, we get a glimpse of him pulling up to the ECW arena. And it's still... Kind of wild to see that venue yeah, in its heyday. And then fast forward to now, and it's totally different. It's, a, it's still a functioning building. It's much better than what it was back in 97, even though it's still the ECW arena back then. But much better, cleaner, more functioning building now than what it was back in 97, yeah. mm-hmm. to say the least. And it's still just kind of, for me personally, still kind of wild to see that building. It's like, man, I got a Super Bowl ring there <laughs> like, a couple years <laughs> ago, like... Looked totally different that night when we got the, those rings. Totally transformed the place. But on this night, on this day, I should say, it was still just good old ECW Arena at the corner of Swanson and Rittner, in South Philadelphia. Uh, <laughs> Blaustein though thought it was wild as well because he was afraid of the ECW fans. Like he was like these fans scared the hell out of me, <laughs> and I don't really blame him. Like those fans were crazy. Yeah. Like the fancy shot. We're like, oh, those guys are—they really want to see some blood. They're bloodthirsty people. <laughs> like this is, this is a bit
2: much. They were even like chanting FWWF, and I'd be like, hey man, like they're number one. Leave WWF alone.
0: They were all watching it though, so <laughs> they, were, not they were. They were like, like they just weren't. They were only ECW fans. No, you were watching WWF too.
1: Let's
0: yeah. not get F- ourselves. Where's the
2: FWCW chant at, man? Come on. <laughs>
0: The one dude who had the shirt that said like ECW number one, like crossed out WWF and crossed out WCW's. Like, (laughs) you were watching.
2: What a mark! (laughs) His name was probably Mark.
0: Mark. (laughs) He probably named himself Extreme. That's my wrestling name.
2: (laughs) His first kid's name is Paul. Paul E. (laughs)
0: yikes i hope i hope nobody did that that's wild (laughs) oh you know man speaking of paul lee though
1: Mm.
0: speaking of paul lee we go to his parents house in the suburban new york somewhere where he is producing all of ecw's television shows
2: shattered my world (laughs) well i I shouldn't say it (laughs) That was wrong. That was. I don't know why I said that. I meant my mind was blown. You know, like watching this. I was like, "Wait, no, what, wait it was what? your world, Nick." It came <laughs> crashing down. <laughs> They're not doing these promos from the ECW arena. What? <laughs>
0: nope. They only wow. get that building one day a week, fam. <laughs> yeah, I'm like what? They don't live there. What
2: the hell's going on?
0: No, and Paul Heyman's parents' house, where. They're cutting promos in the basement while his mom is literally ironing clothes, probably Paul's clothes, like probably Paul Heyman's clothes. She's getting the wrinkles out of. (laughs) So it's just wild to see that, like, and they cut these tremendous promos, and they all happened in the basement of his mom, his parents' house. It's just Crazy. sometimes you Crazy. just got to do what you got to do, man. Yeah. You got to do what you got to do. You got to fake it till you make it. No one knew. You couldn't tell wow. that was his parents' basement. But mm-hmm. did they have money for a studio? No. Gotta get it done anyway. Mm. You know, mom, I, I, I got to shoot this promo. Well, I got to iron. We could do it at the same time. <laughs> just be quiet while Joe Styles tells us when the next show is going to be. Because we're extreme. Meanwhile, the the buzzer for the dryer goes off. (laughs) And... God, we gotta do it again. Uh, That's just how it is, though. That's, you know... You 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 gotta do what you gotta do. I don't really blame them. It's just a funny dichotomy. That's all it is. With this extreme promotion, blood and guts is... You know, the hub is
2: essentially... Making making it seem like they're the most (laughs) cutting-edge. I thought, you know... They marketed to me well. I was like, man, like WWF and WCW have to be like ECW to succeed. (laughs) You know, that was my mindset back then. Even before the internet, I was like, ECW is the cool brand. Like, look how they're look how they're doing all this. Like, their their commercials are awesome because they would, you know, promote the shows and ticket sales. Almost, it would be like, get your tickets at the corner, uh, you know, at the deli or something. You know, they they would yeah. It it was like a. (laughs)
0: And <laughs> they would sell tickets at like a random store in yeah. Philly. Like it was a storefront, like a deli somewhere in South Philly somewhere. Like you can get your, you can get your hoagies, get your cheesesteak, or your chips, and then you get your ECW tickets all at one place, bro. <laughs> like, how crazy is that? But that's just how it was. Like that grassroots style.
2: Yeah,
0: This is pre internet. Like now, if you're in an per- independent promotion, I guess people will buy tickets at the door or they buy them online. You know, whatever. You have an mm-hmm. online setup. But back in the day, I mean, look, you had to sell them somewhere. Somebody had to go somewhere to get these tickets. If it's not at the door, go to this deli in going <laughs> Oregon Ave somewhere in, in South Philly. Get your tickets. Get a, get a get a hoagie, turkey ham hoagie, some cheese, some on oil lunch,
2: on your lunch break.
0: <laughs> right, oh, <laughs> lunch break. <laughs> some tomatoes, some lettuce, some some onions. You know what I'm saying? Some sweet pepper I like myself some sweet peppers, you know what I'm saying? Some pickle or whatever. And you can pick up some tickets, bro. Get some ECW <laughs> tickets. It's such a wild thing to think about. It's like it's such an it archaic is. thing. Who
2: would who would do that? And it, it's funny because I thought it was genius at the time. I'm like before right. the, it's before the internet, I'm like, why doesn't WWF sell Tickets at these random places, uh, you know, when they when they come to town, like it makes sense because people go there every day. Like, why do I why do I have to call Ticketmaster or something? Like, get out of here! With
0: you that. know, you know how busy that place gets during lunchtime. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're making like twelve hoagies an hour, they're bro. Probably, out at They probably have
2: the ECW shirts like behind them, you know, for sale. Oh man, and everything.
0: That's that's a you talk about a blast in the past. Mm. i remember seeing those commercials too. Like buy your tickets yeah. at this place. And it's like, where is this a, <laughs> yeah, this is a official like, box office? Or yeah, this like is I, like a <laughs> deli where I <laughs> get I get a, a cheesesteak.
2: <laughs> yeah, I had no idea where these places were, but they all were around in Philly. That probably South Jersey too. There were probably some stores there that yeah. uh, that I I'm forgetting about right now, but yeah, those were those were like a highlight. Uh looking back. Obviously I didn't care for those commercials back then, but man, like hilarious. I'm kind of mad they don't yeah. have them on the network, but yeah, uh, I'm sure there. Are if, a few, I, oh then. man,
0: I wish they did. I, yeah, we if we, <laughs> we watch every episode of ECW television, I'm sure there's an episode that has like the ticket promotion in it, and they mention the place. We gotta find one of those episodes because we gotta yeah. find like where this place is. I want to see if it's still there, and if they're still there, I gotta eat from there. <laughs> I gotta get something <laughs> from there because. Wow, like I said, a blast from the past. Just like a, like I said, a deli or like something like, that. You get your cold cuts, and you get some ECW tickets, bro. That's just how it was. Like you said, on your lunch break. Oh yeah, I'm gonna head down to the deli, get something to eat, get my ECW tickets real quick. You know what I'm saying? I'll be right back. <laughs> Kill two birds in one stone. You know, by the bang, by the boom. <laughs> that's terrible. That's 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 wild, man. I just that's my like typical Philadelphia. Um, person accent <laughs> even though i'm from philly like i probably do a better accent but <laughs> that works that works <laughs> that works for
2: our listeners in australia and right. india and you know i'm gonna the- go
0: down and get a i'm gonna down get a hoagie you gotta say it like that <laughs> i'm gonna <laughs> authentic, gotta get an authentic philly accent get a hoagie <laughs> uh <laughs> out here in seattle philly and uh <laughs> get some ecw tickets get myself a Helgi. There you go. Yeah, we call them hoagies here in Philly, by the way. Don't call them subs or just sandwiches. They're hoagies. And they're great.
2: Oh, yes. There is a – well, let me see. There's a YouTube channel Mm. that has some uh, commercials, but I have to see if they have any that – a lot of them are for their, you know, tapes and their events – but I I will eventually see if I can A find YouTube one YouTube
0: channel from. with just ECW commercials. That's wild. <laughs> yeah,
2: <laughs> but they're for all events. There's no like ticket sales or anything like that. Unfortunately. Oh man. Yeah. But I'll have we'll, to go we'll, through we'll dig that later.
0: Yeah. We're digging into it. We're digging into it. But uh, I'm sure you know that deli was sold out fast of tickets <laughs> when for barely legal. Probably like whatever deli that was. They didn't. Them tickets didn't last long
2: at all. Because this was probably ECW's had to bid. School. You ha- probably had to bid to. Well, f- well, bid to Paul Heyman as a company to, hey, I want your tickets for Barely Legal, because, you know, they were yeah. a hot ticket, man.
0: They a hot ticket. They high ticket. And <laughs> but this was ECW's first pay-per-view. And if you want to hear some interesting tidbits about Barely Legal, we did a, pod- a whole podcast with Blue Meanie. Was that a Patreon exclusive? The Blue Meanie, that one? I don't think it was that?
2: a Patreon exclusive, but it was okay. on Patreon, well, so... I could, Go check uh, it out. I'll actually our, re-upload it uh, soon.
0: In our archives, we did a whole deep dive into Belly Legal with Blue Meanie. Uh Like, everything leading up to the event, the actual show itself, and just, you know, kind of talking about what it felt like after the show. Uh, you know, the emotions. I was running through all the wrestlers after the show, but uh, we're going to do another thing like that with Blue Meaning about WrestleMania 15 coming up uh, in, in, in March, so check us out with that, but Belly Legal, a big deal for WCW but not WCW, <laughs> ECW, Extreme Championship Wrestling. Yeah. Because like I said, it was the first pay per view. They they did a lot of work to get on pay-per-view, as we've, you know, talked about many times in the past, where they got they had a show lined up, and I think the Mass Transit incident happened. That's like I kicked them kicked off of pay per view, but here they are back again. And it was a big deal. And we get to inside the arena where we see Paul Heyman. Atop his perch, preaching the gospel to the ECW roster.
1: The
2: gospel of extreme. <laughs> the extreme gospel. The way he it, said extreme was just cracked me up. Extreme. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. It was a rather stirring speech. I mean, the guys were like frothing at the mouth, ready to beat the hell out of each other after the speech. And he specifically went out of his way to thank Terry Terry Funk for his selfishness and, you know, being there, and, you know, and rightfully so, because Terry Funk did do a lot for ECW. Uh, But (laughs) there's a point where you see Paul Heyman yelling at somebody, like, hey, they gotta go home, they gotta go home, they gotta go home in 30 seconds. And they're relaying the message or whatever. But at the end of the night, Terry Funk wins the ECW World Heavyweight Championship, which Everybody in the building was like, "Yay! Terry Funk is world champion." You know, the one kid's like 53 years old and still whipping ass. Like, yeah. "How old are you, son?" <laughs> you are like 14. Where are your parents? I got tapes from you're Terry here, from the 70s. <laughs> you're out here by yourself at an ECW show cursing on camera. Like, "Where is your, where is your people's Where your people at?" Cause that kid had to be no older than like 15. Right, but it's funny though because if that happened today, people would be irate. Yeah. <laughs> like Fifty years old, winning a world championship—ah! <laughs> <laughs> Only people forty and under world world titles.
1: <laughs> <sighs>
0: it's. I mean, it, look, the people have a valid point though. WWF's roster is is old. They need to yeah. get younger people, newer yes. people. Cause they got people that's been around for like seventeen years, like <laughs> Randy Orton and the Miz and Dolph Ziggler. They've been around before PG, bro. Like, yes. They've been around forever mm-hmm. before HD. You, you can watch Randy Orton with the black bars on the side of the screen, bro. Like it's been that long. He's still out here. And shout out to, to them, no disrespect, but you know, kudos <laughs> to them for being able to, to have that that longevity. It's just WWE, like. You're still relying heavily on these guys. That's not good. That's not, that's an Mm -mm. indictment on you, Mm -mm. actually. Mm -mm. Not on Randy Orton and Dolph Ziggler and The Miz, because good for them. It's just WWE, get your stuff together. (laughs) But even though Funk is a big moment in his career, he wins the title, he's a champion, yay, everybody feels good, they're like happy. He's backstage coughing up blood or whatever, (laughs) Mm -mm -mm. drinking a beer, and his family don't look too happy. He's like, hey baby, we did it. She's like, God, just, just be okay. He's like, just, wait a second, I don't. thought you were retiring, and you won the title. No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, just, just, just get to the backstage area. Just, please don't die, right? Like, please, like, don't. <laughs> Jesus, I'm doing this again, <laughs> and he'll do it again. Like, we'll see it again. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, this ain't the last. We see a Terry Funk in this happy, joyous moment. But in the meantime, we get to see one of his good friends, Mick Foley, who. Like Funk just beat his body all up, especially wrestling each other in Japan, where they were setting each other on fire and blowing each other up and throwing each other in the barbed wire. But outside of the ring, they were good friends, which was nice. You know, you see them two chumming it up, you know, they're hanging out. And then we get to see more of Mick Foley as a person. And he was just the nicest person it looks like. like Even Blousey said like Mick Foley was the most, of all the wrestlers he had met, Mick Foley was probably the most normal of the wrestlers. Mm-hmm. Which is wild because Mick Foley was on character and on screen probably the most sadistic yeah. and masochistic of all the wrestlers. But outside of the ring he was just a normal family man.
2: Yeah, he wants to, uh, I want to be referred to as the world's most polite wrestler. He was kind of like a, a jab, but that's what uh, like he was known as, I guess, to Barry, <laughs> the world's most polite wrestler.
0: I mean, it's true. <laughs> like, it was, even It's though funny because to... I guess
2: his, uh, his dad was there, and he was asking his dad if he could wrestle with no- Noel and Dewey downstairs. <laughs> like, Ask for permission to play with his own kids. like
0: <laughs> Right. <laughs> and his dad's like, what? What are you talking about? Get out of here. <laughs> no way you're not getting in there you're not getting in my basement he sounded
2: like <laughs> <laughs> i just like picture dad say that <laughs> <I don't>
1: like,
2: <sighs> and if you go outside I'll stay off my lawn he's <laughs> like
0: somebody from the 20s what what are you talking about <laughs> get out of here you dirty rat! you you never get in my basement with those kids never <laughs> <laughs> you do a better white person than I do.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I guess I didn't really mean it for just be a white person. It's just also that person from the t- like a twenties gangster almost.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, see? you never get me. <laughs> you never get in my basement, see? Yeah.
1: Okay, s <laughs> <well>, <laughs>
2: You that's what he that. sounded like to me. You have that, and I have much of i Mick Foley's dad. That's great. That's, that's what he
0: sounded like to me. That might not even be, even be an accurate impersonation, but in my mind, that's what he sounded like. What? Huh? <laughs> For one, like you said, Mick, again, the most normal person asked his father, this is Mick Foley, you know, World Wrestling Federation champion, <laughs> asking his own father, hey, uh, can I play with my kids in the basement? What? What are you talking about? Like, he immediately, like, snapped. <laughs> like, like, couldn't. Why would you even ask me that question? Huh? What? That camera better not be on there. Yeah, see? Turn that camera off, see? No recording me now, huh? <laughs>
1: That's <laughs> stood- great.
0: Oh, my God. He it it was just... He irration- was, was a little irrationally angry at the fact that Mick asked him to play with, in the basement. Something so innocent. He wanted a good shot for the documentary. He's playing with his kids in the basement. How nice is that? Right? Like, it's such a, it's such a nice thing. And he's like, no, you never get down there. See? Not through my <laughs> office. Not through the back door. <laughs> never, ever. <laughs> like, and turn that camera off. See?
2: Oh, <laughs> <Well>, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was pretty funny.
0: Yeah. That was pretty funny. That was a lot funnier than I thought it was. <laughs> But in hindsight, that was pretty funny.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Looks like uh, I also wrote. You can see the resemblance. Yeah, he does. He does like his dad.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's funny to see like Noel and Dewey as kids because we yeah. met them as adults in 2015. Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> at t- <Very laughs> for those who don't know, we we um, this is Rumble 2015, and Nick and I and a good brother Sawyer, we were all at. What uh, was the Ring of Honor the night before the Royal Rumble, right at
2: yeah. twenty three hundred Arena. Yeah.
0: Um, and then we met up at I think Spike Eskin had a like a post event party, like right across the street from twenty three hundred at some bar, and we were there and Spike had invited us and, and the good brother Andrew Goldstein was there and I think Peter Rosenberg was there. Mm-hmm. And Noel and Dewey Foley were then. Dewey actually had like a Cactus Jack shirt on. I was like, oh, that's awesome. Get your dad's shirt on. Yeah. With the, like the flannel too.
2: They came up. I was like, they look familiar. I was like, oh, yeah. They didn't, they didn't realize it was them at first. It was the right. lighting. It was the lighting.
0: It was the lighting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just the lighting. But not, yeah, it was like the on the second floor. And
2: we got there. We were on the yeah. second floor. And like tables were already like packed. So we kind of like stood and we st- stood up yeah and just like yeah, perused that was the area it was cool
0: it was a good it was a good night we had fun that night it was a good night but <laughs> fast you know rewind back to beyond the mat we get you know Jim Ross and Dave Meltzer and a Mick Foley's childhood friend talking about you know Mick Foley's ability to put his body on the line and take all this punishment which is wild. It's just wild to see him, and then you see him as a dad with his kids. Such a you know, just a loving dad. And he's playing with them, and they're happy and giggling all the time. And, and he talks about how you know he's telling his kids that he's okay, even though he's not okay. But he still tells them yeah. that he's okay because you know you gotta assure your kids that you're all right. You know, you're the, you're a hero when you're dad. You know, mm-hmm. and they don't want to see dad hurt, and you don't want to scare them. So you gotta assure them, even though dad's got a thumbtack sticking out of his nose but he's all, he's all right don't worry <laughs> he's all right but here's one thing i noticed about his family mick foley's wife is wildly attractive compared to him <laughs> like, like she is a stunningly beautiful woman she is she was a bottle, you see, apparently i didn't know that yeah. she is beautiful though you yeah. look at mick it's like how? <laughs> like, like, just, and I don't expect to make I'm not saying Nick is ugly, ghastly man, but he's like this hardcore legend jumping off of not jumping off of stuff, but falling off of stuff and tooth through his nose and and it's like, you know, case cactus jack, bang bang, and he's got bandages and all this and it's like this stunningly beautiful woman is his wife. It's like, Hey man, I guess yeah. it just it pays to be a nice guy. It pays I'll to kick be a nice guy. There. <laughs> I won't say that much. I'm, like said, I'm not saying make us an ugly. I'm not saying that. It's just his aesthetic. And I'm sure like behind the scenes, I'm sure he's a great dad, great family man. He's nice again, it pays to be a nice guy. You know, I guess that's what it is, man. Good family. He's a good dad, mm-hmm. good provider. Just a wild his career is a wild wild thing. It's a wild west, bro. And she's, she's just I'm just like, damn, she is Beautiful. <laughs> like, she is. She is. <laughs> and she dates cactus That's she's married to Cactus Jack. <laughs> now they I think they had
2: two kids after this film was made, so they have four kids together at least?
0: I'm not I'm not sure. I'm not well, sure. I, I had
2: read up on it and uh it was like right after this was made, uh they had two more kids. So there's four kids in that family at least. Uh, good for
0: them, good for them. The big happy family. Uh, shout out to Mick Foley, he's dope. I like Mick Foley. Yeah, he's uh
2: one of the icons, and I will love him uh forever.
0: <laughs> he's actually like my mom's like favorite wrestler too. Inside, she always <laughs> like I funny. like his eyes. He has kind <laughs> eyes. I'm like, all right, like, yeah, one, but two, she did. It's true. He's got kind four. eyes. He's got nice kind eyes.
2: Yeah, they have four children. They had one born in 2001 and one in 2003. So yeah. Like Michael, that. Michael and Huey. I don't think we've Huey? seen them like at all. No, at least I don't no. remember. You no, know it's funny.
1: <laughs>
0: I think I remember them mentioning Huey at WrestleMania 20 mm. <laughs> like, when he was wrestling with The Rock against Evolution. Is like, oh, it's his baby. You know, it was baby Huey's birthday or something like that. I, 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 I my memory is very, very, very weird. <laughs> like just just so you know, my girlfriend tells me all the time, like you have the strangest memory. You remember the dumbest things. But something very important. I'm like, I don't, know. I don't remember that at all. I'm like, totally forgot about that. Like, my birthday. huh? When is that? Oh, yeah, that's today. <laughs> like, but, like, something like that. Just like, oh, yeah, that, that's something that popped in my head. Uh <laughs> We move on, though, to Barry Blaustein he gets a message on his answering machine. <laughs> How old is that? His Beep. answering machine. Right, <laughs> You got to hit the button. And it was Mick Foley calling him after he was in the emergency room, which after, it looked like after his Hell in a Cell match at King of the Ring. Yeah. And Blaustein described him as incoherent and rambling, which he was.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And you know, it was it was wild because obviously we talked about this match, you know, and mm-hmm. ad nauseum. It was just, it went to the finals of our Hell in a Cell bracket back in October. Go check that out in the archives of our bracket of the best Hell in the Cell matches of all time um, to hear, you know, all of the options that we chose from. Um, but uh, he took a lot of crazy bumps that night, obviously, and he, Mick Foley was kind of going through them and and then talking about which ones were the worst ones, which was the one where he fell through the cage into the ring. Yeah. Um, and he talked about how his wife was very upset after the match and his kids were upset too and he admitted like yeah you know i feel guilty about that you know i have a lot of guilt about that so rightfully so okay he you said don't i'll wanna... tone it
2: down <laughs> <laughs>
1: yep
0: he sure will <laughs> oh man um uh, but you know I we, I we can relate to that you don't want to upset your wife you don't they don't want to see you get hurt right and,
2: and you know you're by doing your job you are adversely affecting them and affecting them negatively Yep. Uh, you know at some point you got to figure out what you could do as a job make a living not doing that to your own family and it had to be so hard for him to walk away from that because that's all he ever knew how to do
1: and
0: he said it's like oh Mm -hmm. he's like eventually i'll retire you know at a young age, and he said like 34, 35, too. He said I will retire, which is about when he retired. Reality. He probably do
2: probably do his body better than, well, obviously anyone else, but <laughs> <laughs> it's <laughs> his <laughs> body after all. <laughs> but uh, you know, he, smart enough to realize you know this is it. Like I can't keep doing it. Just, right. I physically know I can't, and then finally just moving on. Whereas so many can't because they he, just he said they can't move on for for whatever reason.
0: He said, like, yeah, I'm going to retire and, you know, retire young and, you know, be good about it. And it was like, well, what else are you going to do? He's like, that's the problem. <laughs> like, I don't know what else to do. It turned out Mick was a very talented writer, you know, and he could write books and yeah. write children's books and all that and be a New York Times bestselling author. But at the time, he didn't know that, I guess. He didn't know he had that talent, uh, which is why he was putting his body on the line every night pretty much Mm. um so yeah we can i can like i said you know identify with the fact that you know because like you said what he goes through adversely affects his family because how do you provide for your family Mm. also can you play with your kids you know like Mm. your kids are growing up but like you still want to play with them you still want to be able to get around and be there for your grandkids one day like you know Mm. so it's not just about the thrill of that night Dude, it's a bigger picture.
2: Yeah, and um, it was almost chilling uh, when his wife, Colette, said, I know there's more to come, which is the scary part, you know, Yeah, the was And that's, that that's was what b- they call. Right after Hell in a Cell. <laughs>
0: that's what they call either, I guess you call it foreshadowing or mm. a harbinger
2: mm. for mm. things to come. Ooh, how about that? Mm-hmm. I don't hear that um, too often nowadays.
0: Not, not on wrestling podcasts, you don't. <laughs> but we're smart, all right? That's right. That's right. So, <laughs> moving on, Blousing finally gets a chance mm. to meet the one wrestler he really wanted to meet and that was Jake Roberts. Now, trigger warning. Well, I don't know, you're not watching it, so it's all right, but we're going to talk about some really sensitive stuff here with Jake Roberts. Yeah. But just want to remind everyone, Jake Roberts has turned his life around. He is as far as we know, clean. He is on the straight and narrow, and is working currently for AEW, right? Yep. So, we get to some dark places in this documentary, but it took a while, <laughs> right? <laughs> but he's eventually in a good place, as far as we know. You know, he's in a good place, and he's surrounded by, you know, I would imagine he got a good support system down in AEW. DDP is down there with them, so good for Jake Roberts. And there's a much more optimistic documentary about him out there you know, that DDP helped produce, and, you know, when he's going to the Hall of Fame, so that's a dope documentary if you want to te- see Jake Roberts finally climb out of this hellhole that he dug himself into uh, over the years. But when it comes to Beyond the Mat, he's very much knee-deep in hell, <laughs> and it's rough to see at certain points, but... Yeah. Uh, but everybody, you know, even though he's in the rough shape, they still talk about just how good he was. Like, they just lauded him, you know, for his persona and his character, like, you know, on-screen character. And his mind for the business. He such a great mind for the business. But then they talk about, you know, his demons. And then some random guy comes out of nowhere. It's like, yeah, you know, well, you know I gave him, you know, his advance for the, for the show. And then he demanded crack before doing the show. It's like, they never identified this person. It's no, Just a guy. Yeah, yeah, it's like who the hell is was this? Just,
2: they didn't even identify. Well, they did identify Roland Alexander, but they don't. They didn't put the name on the screen. So if you weren't listening, you you missed it. It's like, wow, that's right. the biggest gripe I have with this. Put their name up there. I mean, if you're going to put him in the documentary, either use him and put his name there, or don't use him at all. Like I, I don't know what they were trying. I know they were trying to, you know, tell a story here with how bad Jake was, but. Like, well, it, it was weird. It, it was weird, yeah. On main on person that
0: because is he a, is he a wrestling promoter? Is he like who is he? Yeah, like yeah. how would he how would he be privy to something like that? Even right. if it's true, like
2: who, I still want to know who he is. <laughs> like you put him on screen, who is could, he? He could have been the main eventer of that show. Like no one, knows. right? Well, maybe could've not. Could have been a wrestler, right? He, yeah. It's, it who a knows?
0: But identify him in some way. Barry Blaustein, come on. <laughs> so I thought that was weird, and. But the thing, it didn't sound like outside of the realm of possibility for Jake Roberts in 1998, 99 or whatever, but it still came out of left field. Yeah. Uh, but Barry Blaustein found Jake Roberts in the bustling metropolis of North Platte, Nebraska. Which, if you're a wrestler... North Platte
2: Vikings, yeah.
0: Is that, no, just, is that made, real? No, I just made it up. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> your North Platte knowledge is strong.
2: <laughs> Aren't the uh I didn't know. is it the Northeast Vikings?
0: Yes, that is true. Uh, I, go think I
2: think that's why I said that. <laughs> because of no- you <laughs>
0: Northeast Northeast Vikings, go Vikings, go those Vikings, not the Minnesota Vikings, but <laughs> <laughs> Northeast Vikings. Um But if you're a wrestler or an entertainer in general, North Platte, Nebraska probably isn't the place you want to be. <laughs> like <laughs> That's probably not a good chapter of your career, if you if you're if you've ended up in North Platte, Nebraska. That's just not, to, not nothing against the, the good people of North Platte, but it's not necessarily like this, you know, entertainment mecca, so to speak. You know, you sure. You sure? Have you been there? I have not. <laughs> we can look it up. So how we'll do you know, we... man? I don't. I, you're right. You know what? I am making assumptions. Based off of nothing, honestly. Uh, <laughs> but it's a town <laughs> with a population of oh oh twenty three thousand as of twenty nineteen. That's more than what I thought it was gonna be, honestly. <laughs> 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 that's honestly more than what I thought it was gonna be. I thought it to be like six, something like that, five. Twenty three thousand, that's that's pretty big for Nebraska, I think. I mean mm. I am I'm surprised. So I wonder how many how many people live in Lincoln, Nebraska, as for comparison. Oh, wow, that's, that's where that's where uh, that's where uh, the the cornhuskers are. Two hundred eighty three thousand. So that's oh, like wow, not big too city far in Nebraska, off.
2: not too far off,
0: not too far off. But yeah, North Platte, Nebraska. So <laughs> if we got listeners in, in Nebraska, anywhere in Nebraska, thank you for listening. <laughs> but I think even you would agree, like this isn't necessarily like the entertainment mecca. Like this isn't. Yeah. The place too many people want to go to jumpstart their career or, like, or any point of their careers. But whatever. We're here. We're here in North Platte, Nebraska. You know who else is there? Coco Beware was there. Ah, uh, he was there.
2: Yeah. We're Frankie. <laughs> did Bar- Barry say this is about as far down as you can go in wrestling without starting over?
0: <laughs> yes, he did. Like, I actually wrote Barry. that down.
2: Damn, Barry. Come on. I mean, <laughs>
0: it's. Kind of true. If you're starting a career, okay. But if you're Jake Roberts and Coco, beware. And you are on WrestleMania in front of stadiums full of people, and now you're in North Platte. Yeah, that's pretty, that's a pretty far that's a pretty far fall from grace. Again, no disrespect to the people in North Platte, though. Yeah, don't want to disparage
2: their hometown.
0: I don't mean no disrespect. It's just.
2: Hey, what's going to, on there? I'm going to have to shut my phone off when I drive through North Platte next time. <laughs> so nobody knows where I am.
0: I guess, man. I guess. <laughs> um, but I, I wrote down here, you know, this is just another case of like, especially back in the day. I think things are a little bit different now because guys are taking better care of themselves, like we've said. And they are more fiscally responsible. They're more educated. Uh, you know, just overall, they don't, you know, they're not partying and doing all the recreational drugs and all that stuff that they did back in the day when it was the sex, drugs, and rock and roll era. Uh, guys, you probably won't see this as much to, from the guys of this era moving forward than you did of Jake Roberts and Coco Beware's ever. But there's no retirement for like wrestlers, like, <laughs> there's no like retirement plans or pensions. It's just once you're done, that's it. Mm -hmm. You know, guys just fell off for whatever reason, whether visitman or whoever, promoter, WCW, whatever, you know, didn't want to use you anymore, or you just couldn't do it anymore, and you were just left to fend for yourself. You know, and I better hope you save some money, or else you were either forced to get another job, working, doing whatever, because you got to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. Or you were forced to do some of these independent shows in North Platte, Nebraska, or wherever wherever else they would have you. Or maybe you would do the convention circuit back in the day, which wasn't really like the, you know, busy, bustling thing it is today where you got Comic-Cons and all types of comic book conventions that wrestlers can go in there and make some bank just taking pictures and signing autographs. In the 90s, it wasn't quite like that. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't, you know, San Diego Comic-Con and the other various Comic-Cons weren't popping like they are today. Like, I went to a Comic-Con like 2015, 2016. Mm. It was huge, and it wasn't even like the big one. Like I said, the San Diego Comic-Con is like the main one. But this one was still big. It had some big actors on it, and the wrestlers, the Bella Twins were there. I think Paige was there. Just like, again, like, like I said, 2015. You know, you can still make some yeah, money. I've
2: never been to one, so...
0: It was pretty dope. I I enjoyed it, but again, it's it's just things have changed, obviously. Uh, but the convention circuit wasn't really popping like it was like it is today. So it's just it's, it's just rough for some of these guys, I man. When they fall out of that spotlight, and you see it here, I mean, with Jake Roberts and Coco Beware, Coco Beware didn't like he was in, in as bad a shape as Jake Roberts. Let's just be clear, like Coco was just not really you know popping at that point. He wasn't really buzzing, but you know he was like, high, like oh, he was like
2: high energy Coco,
0: right? Right? Not it's just
2: the Coco that we we love with Frankie and everything. No, 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 no. it's like the high energy version. Like, <laughs>
0: well, he had Frankie with him.
2: He did, but it was yeah, okay. come on, Coco
0: it just wasn't on. just wasn't the same. It just wasn't the same. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's just it's just rough, and that's why you know I want you want to see guys kind of it probably not going to happen anytime soon but maybe unionize in some type of way just to, to just agree to some type of collective bargaining
1: mm-hmm.
0: some type of terms with the promoter at least at least in WWE maybe it can't happen in in other promotions cuz they can't afford it but the WWE if they can if they can't agree on some type of traveling arrangements some type of health care and benefits and some pension this, that's just sad man like cuz i you know WWE can do it they had the infrastructure they they got, they had the infrastructure available and at least the, the resources available I should say that they could do this. They just mm. had the best year ever financially yeah. in twenty twenty, despite in a, in a, pandemic. a pandemic. Yeah. Right. You know, without fans. Mm. You know, they didn't make not one I least after twenty at least after uh, February, they didn't or early March, they didn't make not one penny from ticket sales. And they still had fiscally the best year. So you telling me they can't agree to some terms where it's like you can you know if you're if you're there for 5 6 years you're entitled to a pension or some type of you can you can set up a retirement plan or something like that like people in the office have that available to them apparently
1: mm.
0: they can get a, some type of 401k set up and insurance and all that stuff but the rest of us can't so sounds nice yeah that's kind of whack and you see at least back in the 90s this is the the result of not having that type of infrastructure in place for these guys, because you got guys like Jake Roberts and Coco Beware <laughs> showing up in North Platte just for a quick buck. Mm-hmm. And guys of that stature, you know, future Hall of Famers. And I know, say what you want about Coco, you know, he doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. He was still on like WrestleMania, still on big shows. <laughs> That's what that stature, you don't want to see them fall from grace to that extent. You know what I'm saying? So it's pretty rough to see. Um, then you we hear people talk about Jake and his psychology, you know, and how he could just make someone feel an emotion just by looking at him, mm. you know, and all the different intricacies behind his psychology, which he's always been praised for. It's, it's not really his athletic ability; it's just how he does things. and And he talked about it as well, like how he moved his hair, or how he used his hands, how he looked at people. It's all these different things that he would do. That he would think about. It was very intricate in his, and in detailed in how he went about his business from the moment he stepped out of that curtain to the time he went back.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And it was pretty dope to hear him kind of go through that. Um, and it's then like, we get. You feel like go ahead. professional
2: wrestlers should be thinking in the same way, and they just don't. A lot of them don't. It doesn't come second nature like it did to Jake.
0: Well, that's for a lot of people. I mean, not everybody Jake the Snake Roberts, man. You know? that's what makes him special, I guess. You know, he, that's why he's a Hall of Famer. But then we get Blaustein talking about how he spent eight hours in a van with Jake, which is a long time to spend in a van with anybody. <laughs> okay, and nuns eight hours when they're
2: farting. Oh,
0: oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Dude, they were farting nuns. Whoa. <laughs> uh. <laughs> but he's in the van with Jake for eight hours and that sounds like a wild time. Mm. But in that trip he revealed that he was conceived that Jake was conceived out of rape, which is true.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Jake Roberts, his father, Grizzly Smith, who was a wrestler was Dating who would be Jake Roberts' grandmother when he sexually assaulted and raped her daughter. Got her pregnant and she had Jake when she was 13. And it's like, Jesus, Jersey Smith was a terrible, terrible person. Yeah. Which I, 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 I knew that they didn't obviously didn't have a good relationship. But I forgot exactly how Jake Roberts was conceived. Now, you're right. hearing this documentary, it's like, oh, I forgot about that. Holy hell. Like, from literally, like, before he was even born, this Jake Roberts was born into drama, like, and born into, like, adverse situations. And, and it gets worse, because, yeah, you know, he, they talked about his his sister, uh, yeah. Yeah. you know, was dating...
2: 50-year-old, married 50-year-old.
0: Right, she got ran off, mm. ran out of the house by the, who was it, their stepmom, I believe it was. And she dates a guy and his, this guy's ex-wife kidnaps and kills her and they never found her yeah. body. And it's yeah. like, what? Like, these terrible traumatic yeah. things that, like I said, Jake was born into and seen. Mm. It's like, mm-hmm. you see him when he's struggling and not Good with his kids and not good with people in general, and it's like, man, just this, this dude had a rough ass life.
2: Yeah, and I didn't even re- remember. Uh, he said he was close to his stepdad, and his stepdad died in their attic. His right, elect- electrocuted. Electrocuted, and I didn't even I, like. I've totally forgot about that, and that's that just adds on to everything else that he's gone through. Jesus, it's just an in, incredible. Uh, maybe. It's incredible that he is where he is now, um, but it also, there's never, I guess there's never really an excuse, but if you were to say, like, why does Jake do this stuff, you know, there are reasons. Right. It's not just he does it because he likes it, you know. It, it well, happens I mean, with a lot of he people He, he talks about it, yeah, and he talks about it, like, addicts aren't addicts because they like it, you know, or, you know, like, I gotta grow up, you know, you're not 12, 13 years old saying, I want to grow up to be an addict addict so it's a shame right.
0: it, it really is and, and i have to put that myself it's like people a lot of people that turn to drugs a lot of times it's because they're they're self-medicating from the pain that they're living through mm. sometimes you got people who just want to try some different stuff and they just want to get as high as possible and then oops i'm, a, I'm an addict now and but a lot of times it's a lot of people who who deal with hard hard lives man mm. And you hear from these people, even people who like, and not making excuses for these people, but who like who are like serial killers and stuff like that. The common thread amongst a lot of these people is that they had terrible childhoods. And, you know, they got caught up in foster systems and whatever. And it's like, you know, mental health. <laughs> and that's what it comes back to. These people need therapy and counseling, and that would help a lot of these people. You know, at a young age too, mm-hmm. steer clear of the ills of society. Instead, especially back in the day, you know, only crazy people went to therapy. You know, only you know nobody wanted to do that and have people look at them sideways because they went to see a therapist or psychologist, and they just kept going through life with this mental illness or you know, just this, this trauma that they didn't get off their chest, and um, yeah, mm-hmm. and went down dark paths. Uh, and, and then you get this. Very rough scene with, and it's rough because you know what, why it's rough, but I, I don't, it wasn't supposed to be touching. Uh, you know, I guess they meant it They when they filmed it, they wanted it to be kind of touching, but it just wasn't. And it's when Blaustein shot Jake and Grizzly Smith together for an hour and they were just like barely talking yeah. to each other, They're just working in a field or something like that. And Roberts admitted, like, hey man, I would do anything for my father's love. And it's like, that's the shame of it. Mm-hmm. Cause he' was probably chasing that uh uh that the uh, approval of his dad for all these years and never really got it
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that's that's heartbreaking for especially if you're younger yeah especially you know he's he's
2: well, <laughs> who your dad is you know like the types of things he's done you know and but he's still yeah. your dad you know like you're you're not there for you know jake wasn't there when he raped the woman's daughter that he was dating uh he doesn't know that pain he just knows what his father did but he's still his father and i guess in a crazy way like that love would mean everything to him and he just never felt it and it's just like that's those are the mental issues that you have when you know jake the fact that he wanted his father's love but then knew just what a terrible person his father was probably tore him a little apart too
0: yeah, and and Roberts said you know at one point he wanted to really outdo his dad from a wrestling standpoint. He wanted to be a better wrestler, make more money, go higher than his dad ever did, and it, and then he did that. Jake Roberts is a much more famous wrestler than Grizzly Smith. Yep. But he said when he when he did it, it didn't really mean anything to him. Mm-mm. It meant nothing, and that probably made him even more depressed and even more, you know, hurt. That even though he did that, it's like what did it mean at the end of the day? not much and then you get uh, grizzly smith talking about oh yeah you know uh you know he was born out of love and it's like that's not true at all bro you conceived him by raping his mom like what are you talking about he wasn't born out of love he's born out of the pain of his mother and the pain of his grandmother too let's not forget she her daughter was raped like jesus christ so yeah, that's this again, trigger warning again. But rough stuff here with Jake Roberts. Some serious, serious stuff. Uh with Jake Roberts. Um
2: And this yeah. is the first I really remember seeing this. Uh you know, I ordered the Heroes of Wrestling pay-per-view in nineteen ninety nine and he obviously showed up not in good condition at all, then the internet ran rampant with it. So by the time I saw this uh movie I had known that like he had some issues, but I didn't know the extent of it, and it's just like even in two thousand one two thousand two thousand and one whenever I'm watching this for the first time, I'm just like taken aback by it
0: yeah it's it's a very sensitive subject matter, so again, uh trigger warning to those who just might you know like it trigger you in some type of way uh because we're talking about some really sensitive stuff here, so when it comes to Jake Roberts, at least, and how he was conceived and his family and all that stuff. So, uh, we usually don't get this quite this heavy on the podcast, but again, this is beyond the mat. So, we got to talk about it. Um, so, then we talk about, he talks about his sex life and how he wasn't really able to, you know, love his wife because he was on the road and doing all kinds of crazy stuff on the road. And when he got home, it just just wasn't the same. He just, he, he said, you know, oh, the road messed it up. But like your life your li- whole life was just that 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 contributed to it too, yeah. what he lived through yeah so so that was a wild time with Jake Roberts, and then we cut to China who is like just living her life being happy, go lucky and and showing off her of feminin- femininity I can't say that word right, man,
2: yeah, you said it right,
0: <laughs> okay. Just show how feminine she actually is because some people would look at her tough exterior and be like oh she's probably not that feminine at all but she's like no actually I like being feminine like I I, I embrace it you know I, you know more feminine than people give me credit for if anything right it was like you know
2: the only thing about her is she's just feminine with a great built body
0: yeah all right, she can whoop your ass, but she still likes getting her, a mani petty in like, this school. Right. Yeah. Hey, you can get it if you're a man, you can get a mani petty. I've never personally got one, but if you you get a mani petty, more power too. Take care got, of yourself. I got a, a petty once.
2: I got a petty once with my ex girlfriend, but my feet are so sensitive that I could barely handle it.
0: <laughs> oh my god. Did you just laugh and giggle your ass off the whole time? <laughs> Not the whole time.
2: <laughs> but I was just like, uh, I was trying to hold it in because I didn't want to be weird, but it was weird anyway. So
0: that's funny. Yeah, I, I can like, see myself probably doing the same thing because i yeah, you
2: know, so so ticklish, little, like little, I, little I, ticklish. I can't, I can't, <laughs> yeah, man, I just couldn't handle it. <laughs> and then I remember, so my ex was wearing like flip flops. We went out to dinner at like a restaurant, and I was wearing. Uh, sneakers and my foot accidentally hit like her toe and she had just gotten her nails done, her toenails oh, no. done and I hit, it obviously messed the paint up and she was very angry at me. I was like it was an accident. Oh, man. But it didn't matter that it was an accident.
0: <laughs> no it did not. The damage is done. Your intent <laughs> does not matter.
2: <laughs> she, We did not have a dinner conversation at all after that.
0: <laughs> oh man. You ruined the whole date. I did. Then we get to, let's get to you know more, <laughs> a lighter subject here, Beyond <laughs> the Mat, with Spike Dudley, who talked about being a 3rd grade teacher before he became a wrestler, and the reason why, because he just loved taking bumps and popping the crowd, which is like, he just loved getting your ass whooped every night, because that's what Spike Dudley did,
2: yeah.
0: uh, get his ass whooped every single night, and he talked about how he studied English literature in college, specifically Shakespeare, that's so what do you know? He's all bloody and, and stuff, and he's quoting Shakespeare at the same time. What an interesting dichotomy that that was. Right. <laughs> then they cut to, they, this is like the, like, they just run through a couple guys that they, you know, I guess they also interviewed along the way. Mm-hmm. Wasn't part of the main storyline, I guess. They get to the Coco Beware. And they talked about him struggling to stay in wrestling. And they talk about J.C. Ventura. He's in the politics. He's a governor of Minnesota, which would be like, a wild thing to think about. Like, man, go- Jesse Ventura became governor? Like, how wild is that? It'd be, it But it's nothing compared to, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger became governor. Donald Trump became president. It's like, nothing now. <laughs> like, it's like, okay, like, more people probably know Jesse Ventura as governor than they did as as yeah. a wrestler. Like, it's just yeah. like, whatever. Like, that's not even that wild now, compared to what we've seen over the last <laughs> 20-some-odd years since he was governor <laughs> nope. of Minnesota. And then they took a you know, took a look at Vince McMahon and you know, he became a performer himself. And it's it's almost like nothing to look at now in twenty twenty one because we're used to seeing Vince McMahon wrestle and get involved with different things. But back in ninety nine, that was wild to see the promoter. That's like Don King boxing. Yeah. Like this just didn't happen.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: that was never gonna happen. You know what I'm saying? Like it just wasn't – no, that just wasn't a thing. So Or like the commissioner, David Stern, playing basketball. It just – what no, this wasn't, wasn't going to happen. Like, And people so probably Stevens think
2: – Yeah, people probably think it started in 98, but really he had that one standoff with Steve Austin that was in Philly where he they were about to like wrestle but never happened. And then we didn't really see that until the Royal Rumble. So – uh, it, it was quite a long time, and quite a long time before Vince got physical again. I mean, he he was physical here and there, but to be in an actual match, and now you see him coming to the ring without a shirt on, and he's like jacked to the gills. Like it was, it was <laughs> crazy to see looking back. It really was.
0: Yeah, for that time period, it was like a surreal thing to see Vince oiled up, jacked up, ready to fight somebody at Royal Rumble. And then we shift gears to New Jack, (laughs) who needed and eventually got his own documentary with Dark Side of the Ring. Because you talk about a wild boy. New Jack is a wild boy. (laughs) One of his wild accolades is that he has four, at least at this point, he might have more by now. He might. But at this point he had four justifiable homicides. I assume because he was a bounty hunter. Right? Wasn't you know, Bell Bondsman something like that? Guess, so maybe I'm pretty sure that's the, that was the, the rap with New Jack. Um <laughs> before not one justifiable one justifiable homicide is enough to traumatize somebody. Like Like, you don't have to, like, I'm good now. I don't need to carry a gun no more. Like, I am okay. Like, no, he got four of them things. Like, they were nothing. (laughs) Like, yeah. Nothing. (laughs) Yeah, he was a bounty hunter. Four justifiable homicides. This man has literally killed people. (laughs) And did not go to jail because it was justified, it was either me or him, like he said. But he, like Jake Roberts, like other people, he also lived a very rough life as a child. And this is why you see this is why you get New Jack, <laughs> this is why you get Jerome. I think it's Jerome Young, is his real name. I can look that up too, I guess. But uh, yeah, that's a that's a wild guy. And if you haven't seen his dark side of the ring documentary. Go see it. I yeah, showed it to my nice, girlfriend, and she was like, great. "Who in the hell?" She, I remember she said like, "What the hell?" like four times. So it was, <laughs> it was wild stuff. And then we followed New Jack along for an audition in Hollywood, somewhere. Blaustein, I guess he linked up with Blaustein because he knew Blaustein was like had some clout. So he's like, "Hey, it's your favorite Negro, New Jack.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> Let's go to L.A. Get me some auditions," and he did. <laughs> <laughs> And this cast, one of these casting agents is like, "Oh yeah, I can see the potential in them, you know. Yeah, you know, maybe he could be. He's not the lead guy. Maybe he's the lead guy's friend. It's like, <laughs> it's just he never got that movie deal he was looking for. He Unfortunately, never the next didn't but he got a dark side <laughs> that, of the ring.
2: Was it the lady?" <laughs> Uh, said he, he, he'll he be Denzel's friend, but not Denzel.
0: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Denzel's friend. Also, why'd he have to be Denzel's friend? Because he's black? He couldn't have been Jim yeah, Carrey's the, friend? The, huh?
2: These these two white people making the decisions about that.
0: Right, right, right. You're Denzel's friend. Why? Because you're black. That's it. <laughs> no other reason. He couldn't have been Val Kilmer's friend? You know, what about Tommy Lee Jones? Harrison Ford? I'm just thinking of, like, 90s actors. Nicholas Cage? John Tovola? Right. No, he's Denzel's friend. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> so, but then we move on. We're back to Terry Funk, who's at a banquet somewhere, lying again, saying that 1997 <laughs> was going to be his last year think, in wrestling. I think
2: this, uh, that footage was from the Hall of Fame, where I think it was right before Barely Legal. They inducted him. Like ECW had like a banquet for him, or maybe it wasn't a Hall of Fame. Maybe it was just a banquet. That I remember ECW had something for him, like the night before Barely Legal. I, that might have been where it was from. But that well, was in April, so.
0: Regardless, Taylor's up the line, telling <laughs> stories. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, damn well. This ain't going to be a last year in wrestling. He sounded so sure of himself, though. You almost could have believed him. Even everybody in the banquet was like, oh, no, get out of here. It's like, Nope, nope, I'm serious this time. <laughs> Believe me. I know I said this in 83. Yeah. I said this in 1990. But I'm back. I'm, I'm, I'm not coming back this time, I should say. I'm, not, I'm out. I'm gone. For good. For good. I'm done. So He's up the line. But this time, he's going to have his retirement match. His hometown of Amarillo, Texas, which is that's nice, right? And WWF being the being, I guess, and for whatever reason, they were they were cool with sending their own talent down there to send all Terry Funk in style to send Bret Hart and Mankind, even ECW guys on the show. Tommy Dreamer, Paul Heyman was there, multiple ECW guys were there in Amarillo to see Terry Funk's final match. Not only did they have ECW guys on the show, a pair of guys from the United Kingdom. Flew all the way to Amarillo, Texas to see Terry Funk's last match. That's wild.
2: They, they, like, the, these two guys really thought that was going to be Terry Funk's last match. That's hilarious.
0: <laughs> I know they was mad when they saw him like a month later. <laughs> Flew all the way to Amarillo, Texas from the United Kingdom.
2: They probably got their tickets from a England deli or something. An <laughs> England deli. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> Where would they sell like fish and chips in this place or something like that? I don't know.
2: Fish and it chips would be a and hoagie, ticks. a
0: hoagie. <laughs>
2: they call it a sub over there. It wouldn't be Who a. It, w-
0: it wouldn't be a hoagie. I know that much. So <laughs> it's around this time, though, in Amarillo, that we get introduced to Dennis Stamps. Who's an old veteran wrestler who's had 1,800, well not 1800 800 matches but rarely got booked in the main event. And all he really wanted was a main event. But he, in his prideful way, was not going to Terry Funk's retirement <laughs> show, even though Terry <laughs> Funk and him were good friends. He's like, nope, I'm not doing it. Why wasn't he doing it? Because he wasn't booked. Which is like a pretty standard thing amongst wrestling. You don't if you're not booked, you don't go. You don't want to hang out and look like you're trying to get booked. You know what I'm saying, and look kind of. I guess it's, it's like a pride thing, right? Yeah. You don't want to look like pitiful. Or something he said like it that. was
2: like his uh, his long-standing rule. He's not going to be there. Yeah. If he's not booked. It's like relax, Dennis. Relax.
0: But right. Terry was like, "Look, man, you know I just want you to be there." He's like, "Nope, I'm not booked. <laughs> like, can you just come, <laughs> please, Dennis?" I want you to be there. I, like, but he kept saying, that, I'm not booked. <laughs>
2: <laughs> like, <laughs> it was almost like he was trying to hint. Like, hint, hint. I'm not booked. <laughs>
0: right. I like, I'll let you referee. Like, I'm not booked. I'm not going. I'm not doing it. I already got a prior engagement. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> going. He
2: pulled, he pulled that out of his butt. Like, There ain't no prior <laughs> engagement. Get out of here.
0: Well, hey. he said later on that it was a, it cost him 134 bucks to change his ticket. Yeah, I think he was just so. messing
2: around. I don't buy that one bit. <laughs> Sorry, Dennis. I'm, I'm not I am not buy lie. that one bit.
0: Rest in peace to Dennis Stamp. Yes. But I didn't buy it neither at first. <laughs> I Like, you <laughs> lying ass. Oh, I got something to do that day. Just so happened on Terry Funk's retirement right, show. Right. It's the biggest thing that's happening in Amarillo, Texas. Nothing else is happening in Amarillo, Texas. All of a sudden, you got something to do. Okay.
2: <laughs>
0: okay, Dennis.
2: I'm going to Vegas for the night. No, you're not. Get out of here. <laughs> just,
0: for, just for one night. <laughs> By the way, Dennis Stamp, for all the fuss he's putting him about, I'm not booked. <laughs> he hadn't been booked since 91, apparently. Yeah, that was his last match. <laughs> his last match was 91. This is 97-ish, right? It's 97?
2: Yep,
0: yep. So it's been six years since he's been booked. In the meantime, he's been an exterminator, which is a, it's a good job. You know, you got an exterminator. People, especially in Texas on those ranches, they probably got insects everywhere. So good job to have. Probably make good money doing it but he was like i gotta be by the phone and ready just in case somebody calls me now it's been six years since somebody called me but i gotta be ready all right and how did he stay ready by just jumping on the trampoline <laughs> i just kind of get on and i don't do tricks i just kind of get on it and jump <laughs> did a stamp man what a what a what a what a worker <laughs> like, yeah. he's like a quintessential like old time wrestler like yep. I'm not for one I'm not going unless I'm booked <laughs> like, like that's my rule you better book me in order to be there and he's like I'm constantly ready <laughs> like my gear is right by the door like in case I get the call like
2: Dennis Stamp definitely working the gimmick
0: oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he was legit hot though when Terry he was like he was. Just show up. he like, really was <laughs> Terry Funk was begging yeah. this man to come to the show. Like he was he really like, waited. Terry just Funk didn't raise his voice. He didn't get angry. He was like, please, Dennis, like, just come to the show. Like it's my last match, man. Like, come on, just come. And Dennis was like, Adam, no. I'm not booked. He was legit hot. Like, but, but he so, was in his feelings. Like, he was yeah, legit hurt he about this.
2: And it was so funny because he was like, oh, now you, now you want me there, but you don't want me there in April, like when he announces or whatever. Like, like, <laughs> oh, you, oh, you want
0: me to ref? Right. <laughs> you want me to ref you and Brett? Because Brett Hart is going to face terry funk in the main event said, you don't want you want me to rep but what where were you back then like i, I could have
2: <laughs> uh, he was really like he was like Yo, i'm gonna make terry work for it
0: right <laughs> <laughs> he really did play hard to get bro he did. poor Ter- terry's like just i want you to... and he walked with like just please come just i want you to be there like please <laughs> like, like beg this man to come i'm like Dennis was like stubborn. No, like, nope, nope, I'm not <laughs> doing it. Uh uh-uh, uh. No, you know, full well, Dennis is going to show up to this damn show anyway. <laughs> you knew he was. Everybody knew he was. <laughs> like, he wasn't going to miss this show. And then he offered an opportunity to ref in the main event. He's like, oh, I got to do it. Like, it's the main event. I can do anything for the main event.
2: He was like, he was like, nah, nah, like, I got to go somewhere. And he's like, please come. And he's like, oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> And finally, it's like, finally, I'll, they were talking for so long and I was like, I, I remember thinking, did they come to like a, an agreement? Because I don't remember after I watched it the first time. I was like, what is this? And then I was like, oh, yeah, he, he is there. Or he does. It's legit me,
0: so. one of the best moments of Beyond a Man, yeah, in my it opinion. It's them in the parking lot of some place, and Dennis is like, Adam, I'm not coming. And whoever's
2: videoing taping is probably like 50 feet away like, <laughs> in, the, in the woods, in the, in the bushes or something.
0: It's Too funny, oh, man. but you know, Stamp. Like I said, he said he'd rather be in the main event than breathe. I was like, damn, that's a that's a mm. yearning for that main event, man. Again, rest in peace, with Dennis Stamp. Though he died in 2017 at the age of 70, uh, but he did show up to Terry Funk's last match. <laughs> well, <laughs> quote unquote last match, because he he insisted this is my last match. Yeah, that that might have been his it.
2: last match against Bret Hart. Maybe. Oh wait, no, they, were, they were both at WCW in like 99, so maybe not. Jesus, it,
0: yeah, maybe. But this is his last match. It had, like I said, Terry Funk pit Bret Hart over because that's like the old time tradition. Mm. Even though if this was, I put, if this was, <laughs> if this was now, <laughs> he probably would have <laughs> beat Bret Hart for the title and then faced Dory Jr. in the main event of WrestleMania. faces brother brother versus brother for the title at wrestlemania
2: you know what's funny this is two months prior to survivor series 97 it's like terry funk did the did the job but bret hart didn't want to do the job terry funk did the job in texas
0: in his last match in in his hometown (laughs) armadillo right (laughs) did you just say armadillo is Amarillo. <laughs> Terry Funk gonna come out here <laughs> with a know. branding iron and get your ass for disrespecting his hometown. <laughs> 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 this man said armadillo. Amarillo. That's what I said. But you're, to your point, though, Brett didn't want to do the the job in his home country. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, right. Like he's not even from Montreal. He's not even from that side of the country. He's from the opposite side of the country. He's like, nope, right. not doing it. Here is Terry Funk, though, doing a job in his hometown. He lived like a mile away, probably. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pretty much did the job in his backyard.
2: If you brought that up to Brett today, he'd be like, yeah, but it wasn't a pay-per-view. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it wasn't televised. Yeah. And plus, I was a champ. I should, you know, I'm younger and stuff like that. <laughs> so. so here's the thing about Terry Funk. This wasn't his last match, like we said. <laughs> this match took place. I looked this up. Shout out to cagematch.net. They, they're a great source for just looking up matches and information. Oh, great source. This match, this show took place September 11th, 1997.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. <laughs> According to Cage Match, his retirement lasted 11 days. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't even go two weeks without having another match. Again, this was in Amarillo, his hometown. Last match, 11 days later, he's in Japan for FMW. And I looked, I'm like, he did a bunch of matches. It wasn't like he did one final match in Japan where he was a big star. Which was like, okay, all right. No, he did the whole tour. So, okay, okay, okay. Those were, that that was his, you know, he had the Amarillo match. That was his last match on American soil. Then he did one last tour of Japan because he was a big star in Japan. All right, fair enough. Now you're done, right? You did, you did Japan. You did the US. You're good. <laughs> until December of 97. <laughs> when he's back on American soil doing dark matches in WWF.
1: Mm.
0: But, but look, look, look. Hey, hey, that wasn't televised. Now, I don't know if the FMW matches were televised in Japan, but in America, they weren't televised. So at least he got that. He hasn't done his television match in a couple months. Mm. That was until... The World Rumble in 1998 (laughs) when he came back as Chainsaw Charlie. And it's like, so he didn't retire. His actual last match, mind you, this match took place September 11th, 1997, this Amarillo match. His actual last match was nearly, was a little over 20 years later. According to Cage Match, September 23rd, 2017. Terry. (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh,
0: man. And I'm sure he had like four or five retirement matches along the way, at least, right? It's twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> not, many, not many tickets were sold just off the back of Fire Terry Funk having his last match? Hundreds, wow. thousands. Yeah.
2: Those those guys from England came over like five more times.
0: <laughs> 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 we we saw his first last match, but this is his fifth last match. You can't miss this one. We back. (laughs) So Yeah, Terry Funk, man. What a wild what a wild dude he is, man. Shout out to Terry Funk. Hope everything works out for Terry Funk. But now we catch back up with Jake Roberts, who is somewhere else wrestling in Nebraska, some other town. Don't know the don't remember the name of this town. This is when he gets to meet his eldest daughter, Brandy, who according to him was studying her master's and what else? psychology her dad has a master's in psychology of wrestling here she is studying a real degree in psychology uh in in a universe university somewhere uh but you know jake is talking about how he didn't really know how to love his kids because he never really learned because he never really received love from his own dad because dad was a piece of trash so Mm -hmm. um then, you know, he gets a call from his daughter, Brandy, and she talks about, hey, you know, I'm going to bring a couple of friends with me to the meeting that, you know, to our sit down. And he wasn't super happy with that. But, you know, OK, whatever. We're going to we're going to meet. And this is when, you know, he admits that his biggest fear of seeing his daughter again, because he hadn't seen her in four years, according to Blaustein. You know, his biggest fear was that, you know, he, you know, rejection. And he sits down with his daughter and talks about, you know, again, trigger warning for anybody, you know, again, we talked about the stuff with his mother and his father earlier, and now we're talking about his, him being a bad father, essentially. Uh, but so we're getting to some heavy stuff again, because everything in the documentary with Jake is heavy. Uh, you know, talks about how he was on the road a lot and couldn't really be there for his kids, and she, you know, she understood that, but he, you know, she didn't give him a pass on the fact that he just really wasn't there. Other than that, you know, mm. he still could have done something. Um, but yeah, it was tough to watch, yeah. you know, and it, it talked about his daughter saying like he never really showed that much of emotion, um, because usually he just, you know, he just. Oh doesn't you know he just shuts off but this time it's a lot of emotion and she's like well some of it may be an act but some of it was real and it's tough because like I I identified with both of them so certain extent not identified but like I did not identify with Jake but identified with Brandy because I was you know full disclosure my dad and, and full disclosure me and my dad are great today you know we're we have a great relationship uh, he's in my, very much in my life today, but when I was a kid, he wasn't always, he would be in and out intermittently. And when you, that happens, he, you, you can grow up holding a grudge. Now, again, I don't really hold that grudge today. We are great today, you know, and we've been great for a long time. But when I was younger, I did hold a grudge. I, I don't blame anybody for feeling the same way toward their father. Their father isn't always there or isn't there at all. And my dad, like I said, he was more or less in and out. So, I don't blame his daughter for being like, you know, hold Phyllis in type of way. But because that happened, to me, I took it upon myself to be even better dad to my daughter. Like, I didn't want to miss any time. You know, any extended period of time at all. So, I can see it also from Jake's perspective is that, like, he was dealing with a lot. In his own life, because we talked about earlier, where his childhood was all messed up. He didn't, he didn't really know how to love people. Probably, it's not really an excuse for being a bad father, because you still got to own up to your responsibility. But you still got to look at what people go through sometimes too, and it's like, you know, it's tough. And it's like, as you, you only, you're only really gonna understand, I think, when you get older too. Yeah. And when you're younger, you're not gonna understand all that stuff, and you don't care. you just like, he's not here right now. That's what that's all I care about. But as you get older, you realize like sometimes, sometimes, sometimes these guys are just deadbeats, and that's just mm-hmm. the end of the story, right? And that's probably the majority of the guys they just don't want to be there. They don't want to face up to that responsibility. But sometimes it's maybe some exterior things. Maybe like in Jake's case, he was on the road a lot, and that's the case with a lot of wrestlers. They're just on the road a lot. They couldn't be there. They miss birthdays. They miss you know recitals. They miss games and all that stuff that you know you want pop to be there for. They miss because they're working. Trying to put food on the table, bring on bacon. So it it that was that was very tough. That's very uh uh like I said I I saw how that all like I kind of related to both of them in a certain sense, but more so I like, guess Brandy because it's you know I'm not a deadbeat dad <laughs> you know um, like Jake was, but that was a lot though.
2: Yeah, yeah, heartbreaking. And him kind of realizing, you know, that, yeah, he's not a great father. So that's probably hard to deal with if, I mean, you know that, but he seemed to be the kind of guy that didn't like to be reminded he was a bad father. So I mean, who would, right? I mean, sometimes, like, you, for some people hearing it, especially from your own daughter, like, you kind of, it hits different. But, I mean, he's great now, hopefully. Um, Hopefully he has a good relationship with his daughter. But at this point... we don't know if he does or not. No, at this point, it seemed like they were trying. And uh, I think he even said, like, he hadn't seen his daughter in four years before they met up at that hotel. But then, like, they didn't even spend time together there. And that's, you know, I guess he went to her house when they had that, like, conversation, heart to heart. So it was, uh, yeah, tough to watch
0: yeah and and of course you know when you hear that if you're jake and you're an addict now you're hit with guilt so you're probably you know if you're trying to recover you're probably going to relapse or you're just going to just go back to what you're doing anyway because it's, it, those emotions are running through you so what did jake do in the documentary according to blaustein he was real quiet and then he disappeared and then when he caught up with him hours later jake was doing crack cocaine <laughs> smoking crack, and he was on the bed uh, lying there and just talking, and I guess he was supposed to be high on crack during this conversation, but because, you know, Blaustein put, like, some weird like, CD and, like, real like, dark music behind what he was saying, and it's kind of
2: weird. The way he cut it, too, it's like, yeah, he moved positions a little bit, and it's like, what's he trying to do?
0: (laughs) Yeah, the editing was kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, with the music and this you know, is probably effects. what Jake had
2: a big had a really bad. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if this particular uh, section is what pissed Jake off the most.
0: Yes, because for the record, Jake Roberts hates this documentary. <laughs> like, <laughs> he is He doesn't like it. He curses the name of it, and he said that he was the only guy, the only person involved that didn't get paid, which is mm. kind of wild because they kind of expose all his demons in here. But again, if you want to watch a piece of content that Jake does approve of, because it's his namesake and it shows him in a more positive light, getting his life together, go check out that uh, Jake the Snake documentary that they did a couple years ago with with the DDP and and this people did from like 2016, something like that, 2015, something like that. It was a couple years ago, but um, you know, it shows him getting into the Hall of Fame and going from like just pale and. and and out of shape to back on his feet and doing well so go check that out if you are so inclined but we're still talking about Beyond the Mat, and then we make the very awkward transition from Jake and his demons and family's trouble to the ultimate family man (laughs) and Mick Foley who is bringing his kids and his beautiful family to Anaheim (laughs) To the 1999 Royal Rumble so you know they probably got to go to Disney World or Disneyland yeah, I should say in California is, yeah. and was, you know Mick we go from like I said Jake who's a deadbeat dad to Mick who's just the ultimate family man kids and beautiful wife who's just just ridiculously good-looking and <laughs> like how did Mick Foley get this woman <laughs> good for Mick Foley man she's just wildly attractive and his family and all that and it's great and we see him at the Rumble And we see him and The Rock going over the match, and they're talking, and they're going through different spots and whatnot. And he even got a quick little sit down with The Rock, and he's talking about hopefully he gets a lot of heat that night, you know, because I'm going to do some dastardly things. And then, you know, we're backstage, and Mick is talking to his son, Dewey. He's like, hey, you know, The Rock is my friend, right? Like, he's not going to do anything to actually hurt me. Don't worry about it. The Rock is going to take care of me. And it's like, that's not what happened (laughs) in in hindsight. But, hey, you know, that's what they thought going in, at least, you know. But Things got a little out of hand at the World Rumble, as we all know. It's a little bit. But then we see this is a very candid moment, again, that you don't usually see, especially from WWF, that you didn't usually see back then, and especially didn't see from, like, an outside source, was that you'd see The Rock and Shane McMahon just hanging out with Mick Foley's kids, so just hanging out. Oh, what rides did you get on at Disney World? Oh yeah, that was cool. Yeah yeah, and then you see Steve Austin walk up, <laughs> like not in a black t shirt and yeah. shorts, but like in a tank top <laughs> and like sweatpants. Like hey, how you doing? Oh yeah yeah, how you doing? Did i stick in, you know, shakes uh, Mick Foley's wife's hand and stuff like that, yeah. and says hello, and and it's like oh, and this Mick asked Steve Austin, how you feeling? He's like oh, I'm not feeling too good, but you know, we'll get to <laughs> yeah, it. and that
2: was so random and. <laughs> It's like, oh well, he's honest. You know, he his neck was probably killing him at that point because less than a year later he'd have that surgery. But he's probably feeling all those effects at this point.
0: Yeah, after Rikishi ran him over with the car, right? That's what. That's why, right? That that's the reason why he left TV, right? Yep. (laughs) Not because he had a a lingering neck injury for a long time. Nope. Nope. The car.
2: Yeah, it's very real.
0: <laughs> but what this was a very real and candid moment is this is some yeah. like I said, unprecedented stuff. You got the rock and Steve Austin just chumming it up, you know, and Mick Foley and, and the rock and Shane McMahon. It's like just hanging out, which is obviously what they're going to do because they're human beings and they, you know, they hey kids, how you doing? Give them high fives and stuff like that, and you hang out with the kids a little bit. But when you're a wrestling fan, you're like, huh? <laughs> What? Yeah, yeah. Especially a young wrestling fan too. You I know, mean, I was only like ten or twelve when I saw this movie for f- the first time.
2: Yeah, I remember. Like, I obviously there were the, in the internet age of like, oh, you know, Mick is pissed at The Rock for what happened at the Thor the match. So, you know, there were all those rumors were flying around. People just writing whatever. And fast forward a year or two after when I'm watching this VHS and. Seeing them before the match and after the match, it's just kind of like, whoa! <laughs> and yeah. you know what? I think I, I, I don't remember if they showed The Rock in the ep- in the one that I watched because the director's cut might have had The Rock coming to mankind after the match, but mm. I don't, th- I don't think this one did. So no, I, I didn't I see that, but I do. That.
0: I might have seen that in a director's I might have seen a director's cut in the past and I do right. kind of vaguely remember seeing that because I, I didn't mm. see it in the cut I watched for this episode but I do kind of vaguely remember The Rock coming up to Mick and be like hey you good like everything's alright.
2: Which is so weird why didn't they include that in the regular like gotta, film. I
0: guess cutting cutting down for time man. Things get cut Just that Left like what forward. was it like less than a minute like come on <laughs> I'm just, Hey I don't know they look good
2: Not what my Barry, What's Barry doing over there what shop is he running?
0: <laughs> a sloppy shop? What's he doing? <laughs> sloppy, shop. <laughs> sloppy shop. Oh, man. <laughs> so then we get a look at Vince McMahon coaching up Michael King. How about that? <laughs> I said Michael King, Michael Cole, <laughs> Michael Cole, and Jerry Lawler on how to call the finish of the match.
2: Isn't that crazy? I love that. That like, is awesome. crazy. Because he kind of, he he left it open to interpretation that, you know, yeah. obviously they're being fed lines a, as it's happening, but you see that and you're, you know, he's like, hey, Lawler, you come up with an explanation. It's like, oh, like, right. okay.
0: <laughs> Cause, and he said, Cole, you're not a wrestler. So you don't know <laughs> what's happening. You've never <laughs> seen this before. And he literally said that, which is smart. Yeah. Cole was just an announcer. He doesn't know, yeah. but Lawler is a wrestler. He's been in these situations before he should have an explanation that's why he's there he's an analyst Mm -hmm. you know that's what analysts do they analyze so that made more sense to me that made a lot of sense to me but also sitting next to Vince was Stephanie (laughs) Yeah, just hanging out
2: probably eavesdropping all that conversations with those headsets.
0: I mean she had the one headset the one ear pulled back just to listen to what they were saying (laughs) so I'm sure she was eavesdropping
2: she's probably definitely uh, learning the business at this point because she would would come on to be a character uh, in a few months yeah, when
0: the Undertaker kidnaps her, <laughs> what a wild thing to say! It is crazy. Yeah, she she made her debut when the Undertaker kidnapped her and try to make you know get her into his cult. You know, that's wrestling for you, boy. And the Steve Austin, the good guy, has to save her. Yeah, <laughs> McMahon's yeah. mortal enemy has to save her. <laughs> Remember when Undertaker burnt the teddy bear, set the teddy bear yeah. aflame in front of Miss McMahon? He's all crying, "Oh my god." Stephanie's teddy bear. What a time!
2: What a time! Oh, man. The story. Hey, so, they make so movies, a, man. They're making movies.
0: They making movies. <laughs> they make movies, pal. <laughs> gulp! A big gulp of water, actor. <laughs> but then we get a glimpse of The Rock as he's kind of running through his promo a little bit, and he's kind of gives a little, like a little like outline of his promo to somebody, like, "Yep, there you go." And then, then he actually cut it, and it's like. Then he adds some extra stank on that, and you know, his little <laughs> seasoning on that, and it's like, damn, that's good. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, he just, he had a little idea, and then he just turned it up, turned it up, and it's like, that's it. Mm-hmm. You no, know, that he got it. And then we get Terry Taylor giving Mick Foley some last minute instruction of something I don't know. But <laughs> then we watch the actual match, but we don't watch the full match. We've watched that already. You know, you can go back to the archives and you know, see our reaction to the the main of the, not the main event, but the The I Quit match between Mick Foley and The Rock at the 1999 Royal Rumble, where Mick Foley indeed took, what, 10 at least, unprotected shots, chairs to the head. Uh, With, again, unprotected, he had his hands handcuffed behind his back. And The Rock is just hitting homers over his head with these steel chairs. So, it's tough to watch, just as a fan. But then it's even tougher to watch when you watch Beyond the mat because you're watching it, from the viewpoint of his family where his wife is crying in the front row you know and his kids she's in the meantime she's covering her kids eyes and trying to Mm -hmm. shield them from you know seeing her dad their dad get the hell beat out of him get pummeled by the rock here and then it's weird cuz they splice in footage of him like spending quality time with his yeah. family and, like stand
2: by me playing in the background
0: yeah <laughs> come on you know but I can stand by me like you know stand by me while I get the hell knocked out of yeah, me by right. the rock here please stand by me and yeah, they, they have yeah. obviously but uh, but they're all crying and it's tough and then you cut to Jim Ross who's actually feeding
1: mm-hmm.
0: Cole and Lawler lines so that's interesting I'm sure Vince McMahon probably did that at some point during that night, but then mm-hmm. Jim Ross took over before the Royal Rumble because Vince had to get ready for the Royal Rumble. Because I'm I'm certain whenever Cole said "what a maneuver," that came straight from Vince McMahon's <laughs> mouth, like that did not come from Jim Ross's mouth. It's
1: not. Or maybe what it
2: was like a rib by JR. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, but oh, here they come!
0: they're Coming to get me. <laughs> But then, you know, we see what happens. The Rock, I mean, hits Mick Foley over the head like 12 times with his chair. It was at least 10 that I counted. And now we're backstage with Mankind, Mick Foley. And everybody's surrounding him trying to, you know, wipe him off, get the, you know, trying to clean him up a little bit. And his kids are there and they're crying and everybody's oh, he's okay. He's okay. He's all right. Just a boo-boo. Just a boo-boo. It's all of this. It's a big boo-boo. <laughs> No, no it's, that's a big-ass boo-boo,
2: all right? <laughs> he, said, what was he, he told Noel, he's like, just a little boo-boo. And she's like, it's a big boo-boo. <laughs> he,
0: he's like, yep, and it's a big boo-boo. Noel was smart. <laughs> he's telling them, like, oh, I'm fine. Don't worry about me. Meanwhile, he's a bloody mess. Yeah. Looks <laughs> like bloody murder. It's got to be face- so confusing.
2: Like, okay, he's talking and he's walking, but he looks like, you right.
0: know. If I saw my good. parents... One of my parents with their face covered in blood as like an eight-year-old or even younger. They're like five or six. I probably would have, I don't know what to th- would think. Like, <laughs> what? But you're obviously hurt. Your face is covered in blood. Your shirt is covered in blood. Something is wrong. This <laughs> is not right. So, you know, we're still backstage with him as he's getting bandaged and stitched up. And they had this massive gash or the boo-boo mm. on they head. They actually shoot it really close, and you see, like, oh, God. Like, that's, that's ugly, you know. And all Foley's worried about is, oh, did the people get their money's worth? It's like, yeah. bruh, <laughs> that's not the priority right now. Mm. Like, do you have a brain left in your skull? That's what we're worried about. Mm. Like, oh, okay, you're good. I guess you're talking, so it's okay. And then right, it you didn't see, draws like stops
2: slurring or anything, so he, no, he no, sounded no. okay. But
0: yeah, it wasn't like after the Slur. King of the Ring.
2: Mm, no,
0: but still, like it's rough. You know, draws comes in, he gives him props. Hey, man, you're the best. Like that was great. But while draws is like, man, that was awesome. His wife was like, I don't know how much more I can take of this, Mick. Like this is, <laughs> this is wild, bro. Like this is not good. I don't <laughs> like this anymore. And I don't blame her. You know? Did you uh, notice when
2: she was asking uh, what time their flight was, just so he, uh, if he remembered, he was kind of testing him. She was kind of testing him. I mean, did you notice that?
0: I I remember something about
2: she. I, I don't
0: remember vividly.
2: Uh, so it was like just after they got into that room where he was about to get stitched up. And uh, she asked him, what time is our flight tomorrow? And he responds, it's it's the right time. And I think someone behind her is like, oh, do you want a charter flight? She thought, like, I guess she was requesting something else. And Colette turns around and she's like, no, I'm just testing his mind, making sure he's okay. (laughs) (laughs) That was right before the trials came in. Uh, She's probably done that multiple times. Oh, probably. That was a great peek behind that where um, I noticed that right away as soon as she was like, oh, no, I'm just testing his mind. I was like, she knows. Like, she's been around. <laughs> she knows. Right. So she's probably, person, she probably that She probably does that at home too.
0: Right. But also that person was ready to get them a charter flight. <laughs> like, like <laughs> yeah. y'all wanna, you want? You want a charter? Huh? Yeah, exactly. Huh? Get, yeah. Ready? No, no, we're good. Just, just <laughs> don't fuel up the don't fuel up the jet just yet. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so then we move on to Foley dropping by venture's office. As he's also getting bandaged up. (laughs) After the Royal Rumble with, you know, Steve Austin, he got busted open at some point. But they both was, like, in agreement in that the match was great. Like, they thought it was just a competition, you know, and no one should really be offended. And and Vince said, like, oh, yeah, it's show business. It's like, yeah. Okay. It was
2: almost like he was, like, preemptively trying to defend himself, almost. mm -hmm. That's what it felt like to me, what Mick was doing. like it was kind of crazy to see that
0: yep and then so yeah he was like you said he's very defensive like yeah if anybody's offended by it i don't know but then blaustein takes the footage of his kids watching the match to his house and they sit down and watch it and that's Mm -hmm. when he's like oh yeah yikes that's tough and he literally said like i don't feel like such a good dad anymore Mm. (laughs) Or just like, yeah, Foley felt... I mean, it's all right to feel guilty that you put your kids through that. They saw you get your brains beat in uh, like that. Um, But yeah, that was, you know... I guess it was a little bit of a wake-up call for for Mick Foley. um, That he needed to slow it down a little bit. And he would. Yeah, and I wonder if that made all the
2: difference that year. Where he was like, all right, I finally got a." You know, in 2000, I have to, uh, this clearly wasn't like February 99 or whatever, but so it'd be another year or so, but yeah, at least him seeing that. He still did, a street, that, it, he still did oh, a
0: street fight and a Hell in a Cell match yeah. after this.
2: So, and I, I did uh, note that, and I feel like maybe it was after this where WWF, it, he maybe he went to them and he's like, listen, I will do these bumps for you. But you have to protect me, and you have to do everything necessary to. And I feel like he didn't take such big bumps after that anymore. That hell of a cell match. He the the ring was built so he could fall through it. You know that's right. something that's a difference that you know wasn't there before. And, and maybe and they, they
0: wanted to recreate the spot where he yeah. went through the ring in ninety eight.
2: Yeah, so I'm wondering if you know that made all the difference in the world, Barry, going to Mick's house, showing him that tape, whereas when we ha- have had Mick go through the ring a little bit in that Hell in a Cell match against Triple H, or would it have just been, you know, the same thing he did with The Undertaker when he went mm. through The Cell? Like, I, I, well, I wonder about that a little bit.
0: At least, you know, in 98, when he went through The the Cell in 98, that wasn't planned. So that <laughs> ring was not going to have any give to it, where <laughs> they could plan it in 2000. and it's like, all right, well, we're going to have this thing padded and good, like, so you're not dead or nearly dead after. <laughs> so...
2: But at least you, yeah. they even gave him the give, you know. They could have just made it not do that and I don't know I just feel like he wanted to be protected and they protected him until he was ready to walk away completely yeah. and maybe this footage made all the difference in the world or maybe I'm just looking too much into it that's a possibility too I
0: mean I'm sure this had a this had a part how big of a part I don't know but I would like I would assume this had a part I think Mick Foley is a very he comes off as a very reflective and introspective person who will admit when he makes a mistake and it's like when he when his eyes is open to something he's, he's open-minded enough to be like you know what i'm going to change it and yeah he, he had another year left of, of of like a full-time run but like you said he didn't really do the big crazy stuff anymore but he did do the street fight with triple h where he didn't really take any big bumps nothing like that so At least off like a ladder or a cell. It's
2: easy just to cut yourself open on the far end and bleed. You know that's the easy part, really.
0: But then he did the cell match. You know the next month and he went through the cell, but fell. You know looked quite comfortably in in the ring (laughs) instead of bouncing off of it and you know being Mm -hmm. damn near dead afterward. But so yeah, I'd imagine it played some type of part in it. But um, moving on from that, you know Mick. You know, he's playing with his kids again, back to the, being the great family man that he is. Meanwhile, Blaustein is wrapping up things by giving an update on certain people, such as Mike Modis and Tony Jones, who, like like I said earlier, never quite got that call from WWE. But he did make, Tony Jones, I should say, did make some sporadic appearances in WWE TV over the years. He, mostly as a jobber, but, but you know, it wasn't his only for, foray in, in, with WWE, but he was still working at Visa, so... Again, that's a good, at least a 99 standards. I don't know what the what it's like to work with Visa today, but back then that was a good job, as far as I know. So, yeah, uh, give me Mike your Modest. Money. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, people was probably going into credit card debt, spending their money. On Visa, come on now, they're still making money. Come on now. <laughs> and then you yeah, got Mike Modest, He's he didn't do the, the funeral home anymore, started delivering furniture. So, there you go. And again, like I said, he started working in Japan and even worked for Noah, and won a title in Noah, so good for Mike Modest. And Blaustein's conclusion at the end of this was that wrestlers were just like anyone else, except they're really, really different. <laughs> Which is, I guess, is a good way of putting it, actually. <laughs> and then after you know the whole proceedings, they put a little note at the end, like you mentioned earlier, and that draws was eventually paralyzed in the ring during a match. And he's still living today, fortunately, so shout out to Dries but uh, but his career was unfortunately cut short in the ring due to a freak accident, so, mm-hmm. but yeah, that is beyond the mat in totality. We dove all the way into it. Deep.
2: Our longest Super show deep. to date, I believe.
0: Is it really? Yeah. That's not true.
2: We're, we're close to three and a half hours, if not past that.
0: Oh, that's, no, no, that's not... Yep. I don't believe you. Okay. So that means we got to wrap it up then. <laughs> Real quick, uh, final thoughts on Beyond the Mat. It's
2: just quite a wild ride to go back to that. and uh, you know, Like you, you said at the beginning of this podcast, it, it, I think it still holds up today. I think it's a great documentary for anybody that wants to understand the goings-on behind the pro wrestling scene. This was released... A year two or two before the first tough enough, I feel like the tough enough, the WWF tough enough, uh, it's kind of played a role in that. Where, they're like, you know what, maybe there's money to be made and seeing like how wrestlers are made. Um, and maybe that maybe pushed them into the, the whole tough enough thing. Uh, maybe not. Who knows? Again, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that's one of the first things that I thought of. I was like, well. If this this I didn't see this until 2001 so tough enough was really the first I had like into be- first look into behind the scenes as the, the bumping and telling you know characters and stuff like that um so yeah I mean great documentary though top to bottom uh I still want to uh, I might have to look for that rock clip of him uh showed up to McFoley's when he's getting like wrapped or something after the match i want to see that again because i think uh even mick said he was a little pissed off at him at the time but he realized that you know what they just did you know this the movie they just made (laughs) uh was was great and the story that was told was great so yeah just like uh crazy absolutely crazy
0: yeah, this, this was, again, by today's standards, it still holds up mm. to, like, for one, it's a pretty well-done documentary, in my opinion, um, and it's still pretty revealing about th- the industry as a whole, uh, and a lot of the things that they were talking about still kind of ring true, uh, but it's also a, a glimpse of, to me, of insight into Vince McMahon, because this yeah. is yeah. some of the most access you... you we, We've gotten of Vince McMahon outside of WWE in a long time. Mm-hmm. So, for some people, this was and you and you like you watch this and you look at how WWE has operated since he took over the company, and from '84 to today, it's it really is like it's kind of revealing about him. Now, it's not like uh everything you need to know about him, but it's a glimpse into like kind of his mindset and his psyche and how he approaches what he and a WWE or F does in his mind we make movies but like he really views himself as more than just a wrestling person he's he he wants WWE to be like Walt Disney you know (laughs) you come here for you can find anything here we got you you want action you want drama you want romance you want horror you know we got it you know it's all of it and all encompassing you know, it's this variety show, so to speak. So there's a little peek into that, into that, uh, into that mindset of Vince McMahon and how he kind of views himself and views his promotion, WWE. So with that, though, Nick, take us out with some plugs, please.
2: You can follow me at Nick Paccone on Twitter, and we are at Shooters Radio on Twitter as well. We can. Could- like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Radio. You can listen to this podcast at phillyinfluencer.com and phillyvoice.com. And if you're hiring, check me out at officialnickpacone.com. It's all my work, my work portfolio. Uh, if you're interested, if you're hiring digital content editor, writer, editor, uh, anything like that, go to officialnickpacone.com.
0: There you go. Check so it out. Thing. Fisher, little thing. Mm, a little new thing. A little new thing. OfficialNickPaccone.com. Check it out. I'm at M. Johnson on Twitter. If you can't find me there, you'll probably find me out here in the streets, but for not for too long, because again, we're still in the middle of this damn pandemic. It's been almost a year, and I don't know about you guys, but I'm tired. So let's get these vaccinations rolling out. <laughs> let's get let's go. You know, let's get this thing going. But uh, you can check out my writing, at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Uh, got some stories coming out, Black History Month stuff, so check, go check me out there. Again, PhiladelphiaEagles.com. Of course, check out some exclusive content on patreon.com slash radio. where you can also request one of our next deep dives. So if you want us to talk about another wrestling-related documentary or, or movie or anything or show, go to patreon.com slash radio, Pay the nominal fee. Send in your request. And we will shall fulfill that request. Also, give us a review on iTunes, stuff like that. Apple Podcast, I to say. Give us five stars, please. Yeah. And give us a, a great review on all those platforms that you can you listen to us on. Let the good people know out there about the straight shooters. Spread the word. And you can do that by leaving reviews and leaving comments and stuff like that. We would greatly appreciate it. For Nick McCone, I am Vaughn Johnson. Thanks for listening to episode 273 of the Straight Shooters. And we'll catch you all again next week.
2: Peace.